Hello and welcome back to Listening Nerds. Uh, today I am happy to have a friend of the show, Kyle. You might remember him from uh, our previous interview about all of the playbooks and then uh, later the war book. Uh, Kyle, welcome back to the show. Uh, I, I believe you've mentioned what you're uh, what you're here to talk about today, but for those who did not listen to your previous uh, interviews, uh, what are we here to talk about? Uh, well, I'm glad to be back. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, always, a, always a pleasure. Um, so we're here. Well, I'm here um, to plug our upcoming Kickstarter, which I think by the time this episode is edited and out, we will be live. We're going live October 20th. Uh, as far as I know, we're actually under review right now with Kickstarter, so I don't foresee any bumps, but uh, hopefully we won't have any. Knock on, knock on wood. Um, it is a Masks a New Generation supplement. Um, we've been calling it a fan supplement, but I, I think at this point we are like officially third party. Um, so yeah, we're really excited to get it rolled out. Um, you want to just jump in? I can kind of give you the the broad strokes, and then we can kind of dive into the specifics. Yeah, sure. So, I uh, so so what is this uh, this Kickstarter? What what's it about? So we're doing a book called The Worst Generation, um, kind of a play on a new generation. It's also a reference to uh, One Piece, which I think we talked about being a, a fairly large uh, inspiration source for me, uh, not just growing up, but in in kind of world building lessons and themes and and all of that uh so as that kind of inspiration could tell you it's sort of bringing that manga shonen um style of i hesitate to call it comics because i know people are very touchy about those those terms but bringing a, a shonen manga style um drama and artistic narrative kind of aspect to masks um, although everything in the book can, you know, you, you can run it however you want. Um, but uh, the, the setting that we have that will be in the book is definitely based off of, you know, high octane, calling out your attacks, which I know that's not all shown in. Um, but, you know, that, that style of, of storytelling, that, that, uh, the demographic, I guess, um, which is what I grew up with. I didn't really grow up with Western comics. I think we've discussed that in, in previous episodes as well. Um, so... That's that's really the the whole deal, I guess. Um, the setting kind of started as my internal system, you know, something to, to not be Halcyon. Um, again, something to kind of work off of my, you know, Bleach, Naruto, uh, One Piece. I grew up with those other shonen style manga. Um, King of Bandit Jing, uh, which is probably a really deep deep reference um dot hack um and also uh, oddly enough planescape that was that was kind of the um D D game that i played growing up that was advanced D because i'm old um so it sort of has that kind of plane hopping there's like a, a city called sigil and it's uh the city of doors and you can go to all sorts of you know extra planar areas um in the D D setting that's kind of where my inspiration came from. So I wanted to make a, a more magical city. Um, and that's kind of how that ball started getting getting rolling. Um, and then I really like like living worlds. I like making it so that, you know, I have a, I, I only have a, I have a small pool of players. 
that I keep pulling from. So I think it's, you know, more engaging when, especially with how Power by the Apocalypse games are and, and how Masks is in particular, uh, players can invent their own setting elements and bring them into the game. So after each game that I ran, um, each each element that I thought didn't really fit or wasn't really fleshed out enough generally got cut. Um, and then anything that was, you know, everyone really liked and, and, and engaged with um, remained. And it's slowly accreted into this into this living city that um, I'm still running. I think we talked about uh, some of the, the, the play-by-post games that I've run, which is where this where this started. I'm still running one. It's two and a half years old now. Um, so I'll just give a quick rundown of what's in the book. Uh, there's nine chapters, which is quite a lot. Uh, it's 250 pages just in Google Drive docs. Um, so I'm I, I'm guessing it's going to be around 300 pages um, when it's complete. Um, there are four, five play sets. Um, one is a one shot that we're going to be handing out with a freebie book. We're also going to be handing out the Persona and the Royal together with it, obviously to show people our art, our graphic design, our writing quality. Um, I think it's important to show that, that kind of, that showcase that, um, if, if we had thought of it earlier, it probably would have been, it would probably be a little more contained, uh, and probably not too playbooks that are also going to be in the finished product um but you live and learn uh we definitely have some plans moving forward for our official content um so the first chapter is the setting it's called san Francisco. um i really like hokkaido uh i had a an exchange brother from there my own brother is actually fluent in japanese i used to know quite a bit but i don't remember any of it because i haven't used it in a long time um so i have uh, I also just kind of grew up in an area with a lot of Asian influence. Um, a lot of Vietnamese people that fled during the Vietnam War grew, lived around where we grew up. Um, there was a pretty substantial Koreatown. Um, so, you know, just had a lot of those kind of influences in my life, and it shows in this city. Um, it's a West Coast city, obviously, with a name like San Francisco. It's, it's based in, you know, San Francisco, San Diego. Um, the original playtest had it actually more of a Seattle-Vancouver area, so um, it doesn't really have the aesthetics of the Pacific Northwest. It's, it's definitely more of um, a desert south southwest city like like San Diego and, and San Francisco. Um, but I, I guess the, the term is left coast. Uh, I know that's kind of like a, the, the political term for the, the Pacific coast. Um, so that's that's a lot of the influence that we've pulled on. I've heard it. People have called it solar punk. Uh, that's not a term that I've actually been familiar with until a couple months ago. Um, so I've never referred to that um, as such. John, you've you've seen at least the cover. A um, lot of greenery, obviously. Um, I mean, there's a you know there's a like a cherry blossom tree very prominently in the in the in the, on the cover. Um, basically, I made a city that I I wanted to see. I'm I'm fairly liberal minded. Um, I'm I'm pro green energy, so I just put the elements of a city that I wanted into my setting, um, and obviously, you know, it's 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 flourished. We have a lot of really awesome people uh, saying a lot of really awesome stuff about it. Um, so I'm I'm pretty proud of it as a setting. Definitely feels different than most of the Halcyons you're gonna find. Um, not again, we talked about magic. Um, there are ley lines, which are a concept that actually exists in the real world. Basically, there are energy lines, 
that crisscross the globe and they kind of pool into to keep focal points. Um, so the city is kind of kind of that, and that facilitates the the planar travel. Um, I wanted to get a monster of the week style um, mechanic in. There actually is a couple rules for that. Um, you know, Sailor Moon obviously uh, Power Rangers was an influence on. You know, every every you know, just as a base level, monsters kind of bubble up, and the heroes have to to handle them. Uh, that's very typical in in shonen style manga, um, and and beyond even. Um, so I don't I don't think most people would would consider Sailor Moon uh, shonen, but Sailor Moon is definitely you know, Magical Girl anime and and manga are also a um, an influence. Um, and yeah, that that's kind of where the city started. Um, there's a lot of NPCs. We don't really have Aegis in the city. We have we have three different organizations. Uh, one is the Guardians West, basically your your um, Avengers, uh, but they're they're more set. Sorry, uh, they're separated into more like daimyo based off of like feudal Japan. There's like one big hero that sort of has a a range of land that they 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 look over, and then they have a bunch of minor heroes that sort of. Um, work under them and they coordinate with them. Uh they have directors like you know the big 5 basically. Um all of those NPCs are statted out. Um I say statted out but there's no stats obviously in in uh, Power of the Apocalypse. Um but you know give they have a full history, powers, you know, descriptions. We're going to do some art for them. Um um the second organization is the Weather Report. They maintain the weather as uh the name kind of implies. Um, I like to think about how, if you lived in a world where there were superheroes, how would those abilities apply to the real world in, in sort of that vermislitude sort of way? Um, so they're a bunch of weather-controlling heroes. They use their powers to make sure that the weather is nice um, year-round. Uh, you know, So scheduling rain. When they say it's going to rain, it's going to rain. When they say it's going to be nice, it's going to be nice. Um, and that was kind of their only real deal in the original San Francisco game that I ran. Um, but then the ley lines got introduced. So that's kind of their their purview. Um, the Guardians handle, you know, super crime and crime. Weather Report sort of handles the supernatural and magical. Um, you know, they, they kind of make, make sure that the monsters of the week are, are put down and no one fucks with the ley lines. Um, cause obviously those are, you know, big, powerful sources of, of energy that villains and, you know, anyone really could, could tap into and, and cause a problem. So they kind of, they kind of gained that, uh, as the setting became cohesive. Um, really the, the book is just sort of a canonization of all of those elements. Um, I, yeah, I guess that's a good, good way of putting it. Um, all of the content that we've, we've done over the last... Five years? Has Masks been out for five years? We started running it during the beta. Um, so yeah, I think I think four years, almost five years now. It's been it's been running as a sing as like just a timeline. Um, so that's basically what the book has become is just to make all of the the setting elements, you know, concrete. You know, moving forward now, there's a base city that we can work off of, and you know, we've obviously done a lot of playtesting and a lot of one shots and. They don't really factor into that that timeline, but they have a base timeline that they run off of. Um, sort of like how Forms formed uh, from an, it's another D&D &D reference. That's kind of how 
Ed Greenwood came to create um, Forgotten Realms, and that's why it updates each um, each edition. It gets more history um, because that was their their plan. Um, so yeah, uh, that's kind of the weather report. They're they're cut into courts, so like summer, spring, fall, autumn. They have you know uh, a big big scary hero at the top of them. Um, I I really like theming with names. I think it makes them makes it feel more coherent. Um, the Guardians don't really have a theme. Um, animals and elemental kind of names have, have kind of been a um, commonality with, with the minor heroes, but the larger heroes. Um, we have, like, Lightbringer, one's based off of Sun Wukong from Journey to the West. Um, one person made an origami master for one of the games, and he became one of the directors. He's pretty cool. Um, Lightbringer obviously has, you know, light manipulation powers. Um and I, I can't off the top of my head. I think Tuff is one. They've they've changed uh, in a, in a lot of the play playtests. So um, my brain doesn't have them all cataloged. Um, the weather report though has a uh, bird theme. Um, so there's the finch, the robin, the chickadee, and the cardinal, um, sort of as a honorary term uh, that sticks around. But obviously the the hero has changed as as time goes on. They've been around since the, the golden age. Um, so there have been different cardinals, different uh, finches, and, and all that. Um, I think they're pretty cool. Uh, one is kind of like a cowboy gunslinger, but with katana. Because, um, of course, you know, Asi Asian um, influence uh, action movies and, and all that. One has uh, a K-pop idol theme. She sings rain into existence and storms into existence. Um, the finch is the winter court, so she actually can control ice and snow. Uh, and the Cardinal is sort of like a modern tech guy, but he kind of mixes it with magic, so it's kind of like a techno mage. Um, so they're all very flavorful. Um, they're definitely the favorite of the three playtests that we've run. Everyone really really likes those 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 four. Um, so they've they've factored into a lot of the internal lore that we've got uh, for those games. Um, and one of the playtests is actually based off of the second play-by-post game that we ran. It's called Storm Chasers, which I guess we could talk about, too. Um, and the, the third is a legal villain group called the Five Warlords, um, and they have a D&D-themed naming scheme. Uh, there's the Warrior, the Rogue, the Sorcerer, the Cleric, and the Bard. Um, that's kind of the, the central kind of wrinkle for San Francisco. The five warlords are allowed to do, I guess, petty crime um, without really any repercussions. They're basically a, a super mafia. At the, you know, they run drugs, guns, um, racketeering. You know, kind of those those blue collar, white collar crimes that regular crime would would have. But since regular crime has been taken over by super crime, um, the concept is that they want to keep power. So any Joker or Ultron or any any world-shattering threat that comes out of San Francisco gets punched down. They're kind of the, you know, the big fish in the pond that makes sure that no, no, no bigger fish come out. Um, and there's, you know, a corruption angle. The three powers kind of want to keep power. Um, there are a lot of smaller organizations. Um, there's a big redwood preserve in the city with a bunch of druids. They kind of, you know, want to keep those sorts of people down. Um, and it's it's actually those three that have created the worst generation. Um, the term is used for teen heroes. 
that aren't affiliated with either of the, the, the two main hero powers. Obviously, if they're affiliated with villains, that's a different a different issue. Um, but it's it's basically just like a PR smear. Like, oh, these are, you know, hooligans and ne'er-do-wells that aren't really going to, to uh, you know, help society. They might, you know, tear down the warlords, and then, then what? If the warlords aren't there to, you know, keep the Joker from, you know, gassing everyone with Joker gas, then... You know, the city's not as safe as it is even, you know, with, I guess, a little bit of permissive crime. Um, and they're based off of the seven warlords from One Piece and just kind of like the idea of privateers in general, you know, pay, paying pirates to sort of not pirate your stuff. Um, but they're still pirates, you know, they're still stealing from people. They're still damaging property and, and uh, getting up to, to no good. So, um I don't know if you have anything you want to weigh in on uh, to break break up me just monologuing. Uh, nah, that's, that's, uh, this is uh, super interesting. I'm I'm happy to just let you uh, kind of talk about the the setting. Sure. Um. So yeah, I, I I don't have too much more. I could kind of go into um the we the the because the city is sort of that that living campaign. There's a there's a mental map that I have. I'm I'm hoping that we can do a physical map. We've talked about just kind of like downloading a program and, and doing a map um, that kind of old fashioned way because none of us are map makers um, or paying someone if we we get past our funding goal, which we can talk about that as well. Um, so I, I kind of based it off of L.A. I don't know if uh, your home city kind of works this way. I don't want to dox you. I know where you live, um, but. San Francisco and San Diego are really like seven or eight big cities that have just grown into one another where they, there's no longer any distinction where there used to be um, because obviously urbanization has just created a sprawl. Um, similar to Phoenix, which is where I live. Um, that's not doxing. It's it's going to be on our Kickstarter because we have to declare that. Um, and Sam and I are, are pretty vocal that we live in the desert southwest. So um, Phoenix... Um, like, I live in Mesa, he lives in another part of the city, but it's a different city, you know, um, and it, neither of us live in, actually live in Phoenix, but because it's all one big conglomerate mess of roads, we just say Phoenix because it's easier. Um, so similar to that, there are cities that have kind of grown into San Francisco, um, and then there's San Francisco proper. We have, like, a, a river district where there's open-air um, boat, I uh, lost the word, um, like open-air markets. You know, people are selling stuff, the, you know, like a, a night market, but on, on the ocean, on the river. And uh, obviously there's a bay, because San Francisco, and there's a bridge, because San Francisco reference. Um, so those are two of the bigger regions of the city that get a lot of, a lot of play. Um, the one shot that we're handing out actually kind of focuses on the Redwood Preserve that we talked about that makes up one of the, the edges of the city um, and the River District because that makes up another edge of the, the, the Redwoods, the north edge, and the, the rivers, the south edge. So there's, you know, there's, there, there's spacing that I think people will find interesting and, and evocative uh, with the city. Because again, you know, people do that on their own So uh, when they make their, their own halcyon. So the idea was to present... A, a, a halcyon that's pre-made, um, which is the idea. So that, those are the first two chapters. Um, is is the setting itself? Obviously, the first chapter also talks about like 
what is the worst generation kind of like what we talked about what are the themes you know what's the agenda what's the principles because you know we want it's, it's still a, a masks book so you know there's still those sorts of mask element rules uh, for gms um but the big the big design philosophy for us and this this goes for all, any content that we put out um we don't want to just put out a book for a gm we want to make a book for everybody um players gms and you know people who are just kind of getting interested interested in the in the game um and veterans you know a, a broad appeal uh because it sells more books and we want money uh and we want you to be entertained uh but also you know uh we're, we're obviously selling this so we want it to be as broadly appealing as possible um so obviously the first two chapters are very gm focused you know what's the what's the city like what what are you know we give some examples of you know not just the the main regions like the river district the bay district the red the the redwood forest which is called the sleeping giants um but also you know we talk about like oh what, what's outside the city where are some places that teenagers can hang out um we actually talk about that more in one of the one of the play sets um but you know we we want to make sure that there's a lot there for the gm to play with second chapter is the is the npcs so your Lightbringer, your warlord um and we give you know like i said we give a detailed history what they were doing when they when they started being active gold silver bronze what they're active doing now um kind of like as a jump off point like here's their personality here's their powers here's kind of what they do within the framework of the narrative obviously they can be changed at any time you don't have to use them but they're there um so we did we did five we did the five directors for the guardians and we talked about the history of the guardians we did five all four of the weather report people um and again full history explaining who they are what they do in the city all five of the warlords um there's a fourth organization that sort of acts as a central police force they're called the monsoon so they have a couple uh we we, we use that chapter to sort of discuss like non-affiliated heroes people who are affiliated with the monsoon um the monsoon is is a pretty big landmark speaking of places in the city um it's like a modern um tower uh we were gonna have it on the cover but it just it didn't go that way um but the cherry blossom actually is is a reference to it so when we introduced the monsoon uh they were gonna do this big gala uh event in the game and it's also included uh, in in the play playtest for Storm Chasers, which is one of the chapters. Um, and I like just I like throwing in hooks to the players. So I just said, oh, well, the, the, you know, there was going to be a commem commemorative, you know, uh, ribbon cutting, and they were going to review. You know, there's a thousand year cherry blossom that got donated to the city as kind of like. Um, and a show of goodwill between the three powers because they all three kind of pitched in to make this uh, as as a yeah we're going to maintain peace between the three of us. There's not going to be an open war in the, in the city because we're you know power struggling. Um, and a villain just went and stole it for no reason other than that just seemed like in a really evocative sort of element. And the players really picked up on that, um, and it became like a really kind of almost like a running joke, I guess out of character with the players but also in characters it kind of became this like where did it go who was this person because we didn't really expand on it um and that's kind of how the the, the city has grown um that's something that one piece does a lot they 
it it asks questions like oh and it, it introduces really small details that you don't think will ever become important but then obviously 400 chapters later because the thing is going to go on until the heat death of the universe those questions get answered um so just in the span of the three games that we've run over the four years that has been an element that has been consistent um the entire third game that we're running right now that's been running for two years is is based off of just one character that got introduced called the defector um and everyone wanted to know what she defected from so uh that became the basis for the third game that we're running um so there's there's elements like that left in the book um but the third chapter uh continuing is that content for players that i was that i was mentioning um every core playbook is kind of given a how do they fit into the city kind of write-up uh different powers uh that are more you know shown in more anime more manga style um like the delinquent gets like has ninjutsu as one of the listed ones or shadow clones um the Janus has a bunch of like you know henshin transformation concepts. Um, so you know just showing the philosophy of the change of thematic elements uh, goes into you know going into each playbook that exists. Um, I also wrote two separate moves, two two new playbook moves to kind of flesh those elements out. So each each playbook that's actually published. Uh, gets two new moves, which I think they're all pretty cool. We did a lot of playtesting with those. Um, there are a ton of new... Just, they were just custom moves that we used a lot um, that just became kind of sta- almost basic moves. Um, you know, your your power of friendship style roles. Um, honor duels uh, is one of the rules uh, that we... You know, one of the moves that we created um because who doesn't want you know a a, a katana style showdown at under the moonlight on a beach you know very thematic very you know in line with the concepts of the game um so we made rules for that and people just kind of took off and and kept using those um we have two different shonen style tournament rules um because of course you have to have tournament rules for shonen it's it's a mainstay uh one is a firebrand style question and answer kind of back and forth. I don't know if you if you know like Kissing Capes uh is another game that kind of runs on uh the firebrand concept. Um there's no roles. It's you know, you you introduce a question and then you answer that question back and forth by replying and asking each other questions until basically the scene gets done. Um but we also have for people who want something a little bit more mechanical, a little less role play um and a little less GMless because the GM really doesn't have much uh, controller say with the firebrand style rules. They're just kind of the MC. They're just making sure that everyone answers questions and exploring the the, the answers and questions that are given. Um, we do have a, a rule set for rolling. Um, we play tested that a ton. Uh, I think we we spent three months play testing that just to make sure um, there was no no problems with that. And people, I mean. Every playtester that we had for that has has loved it. Um, so we're really excited to show that. Um, one of the Kickstarter goals that we have is actually to make little like playing cards so that you can just you know easily do it at the table instead of just looking at the book. You can just pull out the cards um, because it kind of has a, a rock paper scissors element where um, 
you have five different moves, and they're based off of, you know, elements. So fire, wind, water, wood, metal, I think we have. Um, and each one obviously kind of, you know, contradicts each other. So you get three choices, and then uh, whichever move gets through, you use that move. Um, and it, it sounds a little complex explaining it, but it's actually really, really easy to pick up. Uh, I think each plague test group that we had, it took maybe like an hour, and they were, you know, they had, they had mastered the system. They were doing crazy stuff with it that I didn't even predict. Um, so, yeah, we have, we have some concepts for those play cards. Obviously, it'll have like the move on the back, and it'll have some cool art on the front. Um, that's one of the, the stretch goals that we've got. Um, and that's, that's it for the, the third chapter. Um, chapters four, five, six, seven, and eight are the, the five playtests that we've got. The first one is the freebie that we're handing out. It's called San Francisco Sightseeing. It's designed to introduce the city in broad strokes, introduce some of the characters. It's really boiled down. Uh, it actually has its own backstory question, or its own relationship questions. Um, it has different when the team comes together questions. Because when you're running a one-shot, you want to, you want to play as much as you can and, and not make, you know, make characters. Um, so that whole system is streamlined uh, as close as we could while still allowing for, you know, full character creation. Um, just kind of truncated, um, but it, it it talks about some of the characters that we've talked about. It has the warlord. The, I think it has two of each guardian, uh, warlord and weather report, um, and kind of gives like a little blurb about who and what they are and what they do. Um, and then it, it introduces the monsoon because the the central conceit is you're kind of coming together as members of these three pillars and you're being put to work by the monsoon as a third a third party agent to kind of protect the city um in that way you know you get sent to the the sleeping giant reserve you get sent to the river district because those are again very iconic places from the play tests and the the play by post games and the voice games that we run in the game uh in in the in the setting um chapter five is vacation on onigashima it's based off of the legend of momotaro which is a pretty famous Japanese folktale um, where Momotaro, who's a kind of a hero figure, boy, fi boy hero figure, uh, goes and slays Oni on Onigashima. That it literally means island of the Oni or uh, demon island. Um, so I took that and kind of made it... Uh, e each playtest after uh, kind of explores the three pillars, as they're called, the three powers that we've talked about in more detail. Um, so sightseeing is designed to kind of detail and explore the city in an introduction. Uh, Vacation on Onig Onigashima is uh, kind of exploring who the warlords are and what they kind of do. Um, it introduces a sixth warlord called the Barbarian that you have to fight. Um, she beat, obviously, Momotaro and their companions. Uh, so the themes like lost honor, duty, um, obviously beating a, a warlord is a lot of fun. Everyone wants to do that. Um, uh, but you're teen heroes, so you can't really beat, you know, um, a super, you know, like a Superman, because each one of those is, you know, they're, they're central characters. You can't just take them out as a teenager. They're, they're adult threats, not teen threats. Uh, so this gives you that, that, um, Fulfillment, I guess, is, is a good term. You get to beat a, you get to say that you beat a, a, a warlord and feel good. Um, 
the vacation on Onigashima is, is designed to be short run. Uh, originally, it was designed to be a one shot, but I expanded a little bit. It's it's you know two or three sessions you'll be done with it. Um, it's more designed as a jumping off point afterwards than you know self contained. Um, and then uh, in another castle is the next one. Um, obviously named after uh, the famous line from Mario. Um, I wanted to explore the often problematic elements of Shonen where females are just sort of trophies. Um, So there is a central character called the Hime, which means princess in Japanese, but um, we've made a lot of strides to make sure that it can be any gender or no gender, uh, this character. Um, that you want. It could be a guy, it could be a girl, non-binary, whatever whatever you want it to be. Um, it's not, you know, uh, it's up to the GM to kind of kind of fill that role. Um, but they are a kind of mafia royalty. They're a not San Francisco based villain, daughter, son, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. Um, and the guardians are the kind of focus for uh, in another castle. Kind of showing that corruption, showing um, it's it's really it's really pertinent now. When I wrote it, it wasn't quite so um, in the mainstream thought process. But you know, uh, cop reform is is I guess a, a good f- way to put it. Um, is one of the themes talking about you know if, just because you're heroes doesn't mean that you're good or nice or friendly or deserving of the power and privilege that you're given. Um, so it kind of takes on what it means to be a hero and what limits heroes should have. Um, the, the heroes that are actually the central antagonists, they're not villains, but they're antagonists, um, obviously want to stop this political marriage between the warlords and this foreign villain power, because that would be really dangerous. You know, it would upset the balance of power within the city. Um, so, you know, the main one is an old, you know, old guard gold hero who kind of slipping maybe a little mentally, um, but also maybe just kind of a bastard uh, that's kind of left up to the GM to uh, detail. But, you know, he wants to basically kill the, 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 the quote, princess, unquote. So the, the team kind of becomes the, the protectors um, and puts them in the drama of, well, this person's a friend. A lot of the rules and a lot of the discussion in that playtest are fleshing out the relationship between the players and this NPC um and what it means to them to be heroes uh exploring that element um in contrast with the heroes that are you know heroes literally of the city you know people that are looked up to by the citizens um and and even in the hero community these are these are not just hero heroes but like hero cops you know they've stopped terrorists and hostages and you know taken bombs into the upper atmosphere so these are you know these are big named heroes that have that have really earned that that title, um, and now obviously they're kind of doing some skeevy stuff. Um, so that was that was the the thought process going into that because um, politics is important when you're running a, a game. Uh, you can't really keep it out of that. Um, so and again, it kind of goes back to that concept of the city being a West Coast liberal leaning sort of area. Um, so I felt it was kind of right for us to bring those those concepts up. Um, similar uh, Storm Chasers we've kind of hinted at. Um, it's based off of the play test, or the play, sorry, the, the, the play-by-post game that we ran. 
um, three years ago now. It feels like forever. Um, basically, you know, it was it was the San Francisco game that really kicked off this whole book. Like, if without without Storm Chasers, there wouldn't be a book. Um, I met a ton of pe- people who are still in, you know, vital to the company. Um, Tom was is is a player in After Dark, which is the third game that we're running now. Um, he was we met him through Storm Chasers. Uh, Sam played in Storm Chasers. Um, basically, all of our primary playtesters were from Storm Chasers. Uh, so, uh, and those are who are on the cover. Actually, three of three of the five players uh, have art on the cover. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that, John. Um, if you were curious about like what all the elements were on for that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Why, why don't you introduce these characters? Because the cover looks great. It's Thank you. Um, uh, it, it, it'll be on Sam. the Twitter and other things, but uh, yeah, uh, explain who, who who these characters are. Sure, I'll I'll hit that I'll hit that here. Um, but I also want to say, uh, Sam is obviously our artist. He and his girlfriend, her, uh, her name is Kelly, uh, collabed on it, um, which is awesome. They did obviously an awesome job. I mean, I can't tell you how gratifying and terrifying it was to get a cover. Because it really made all of this very like it it just it made it very real. It's we've been working on this this project for two years, um, off and on, um, and it never felt like it never felt as immediate as it does now, especially now that we're going right into the Kickstarter. Um, so the so Storm Chasers is based off of the Weather Report, uh, because that's the third pillar, obviously, um, and it sort of talks about. I'm trying to think of a good good way to put this. Um, letting the past go um, and forgiving yourself of past crimes. So forgiveness is a big element. Um, honesty and trauma are are big elements of that. Um, and it kind of it revolves around the weather report um, and the fifth court because obviously there's there's four courts that we talked about the weather uh, in the weather report, but they're not really weather. They're they're seasons. Um, so there was a storm court as well and the leader of the storm court uh was imprisoned because he basically just went crazy um because of elements that are in the in the play, the play test uh which uh you guys can read when it comes out and you know there's kind of a mystery involved with why he was imprisoned um but the dragon you see is the storm king who is the former leader of the the storm court um one element of San Francisco is that knowledge and power are dangerous. The more knowledge you have and the more power you have, the closer you get to not being human anymore um, because of the ley lines. Uh, they kind of turn you into something else. Um, one of the warlords is called the, the Sorcerer, which we talked about. He's uh, He was a human, but now he's a massive, like, goopy mana. Um, and you know, crazy because you know he's no longer human. Um, Storm King is similar. Ba- basically, the the longer you're exposed to the ley lines, and the more you you screw with them, and, and power and knowledge in general, the closer you get to like an eldritch abomination, um, either willingly or unwillingly. Um, and that was the impetus for the witch playbook, which you can find in the war book, uh, which is on itch, and uh, you know is only ten dollars. So uh, go and go and buy it. Um, so. That's who the dragon is on the cover. He's kind of wound around the um, 
the cherry blossom tree, which is a reference to the to the gala. Um, and let me let me bring the, the the thing up so I can go through. Uh, so going from left to right, uh, uh the first on the left, there's a lady with uh fire in her hand. Uh, her name is Cinder Snap. She was actually an NPC during Storm Chasers. Um, but two of the five players. Um, well, one of them just disappeared, so I, I, uh, have no idea if they had consent or not, so I wasn't going to put them on. Um, and then the, the fourth one asked us not to put their character on the sheets, so, or on the cover, so we, we obliged. Um, so we just, we needed a, we wanted a fourth person. Three people, that's cool, but four people is, is feel, felt more rounded. Um, and Cinder Snap was a favorite of everyone in that game and everyone in, in After Dark. Uh, she has an, uh, an entry in the war, in the worst generation in the monsoon section. She actually works for the monsoon. So I guess she's like a protege, um, or a soldier actually is, is a play, is the playbook I would probably give her. Um, and she's a pyrokineticist, uh, obviously by the name and by the power you can see. She can generate flames turn them into weapons. Mostly she just blows people up with explosives. You know, like explosive force, like fireballs. Um, so next to her is Tanuki. That was Sam's character in Worst Generation. He was the delinquent. Uh, his powers were illusions and uh, like uh, psychic weaponry. Uh, so he could create illusions with that brush that you see um, floating around his hand, and then he could make them semi-permanent and real. Um, so, like, he could draw a phoenix and then make the phoenix real, um, and it would burn people. Or, you know, he could build a wall and make the wall come up, and it would defend people. Um, so, very, very manga-themed um, power. There's there's a couple, you know, very famous characters from, from shonen anime and, and manga that have that power. Um, uh, then the beacon, uh, which is next to him, uh, her name was Nuisance. Um, she has a face suit and a power crossbow, um, pretty, pretty standard, uh, beacon playbooks powers. Um, but she was, she was the fan, she was the fan favorite, like every player loved Nuisance. Um, so we're really glad that she got on the cover. Um, and she was, you know, the heart of the team, like every, every beacon. Um, and next to her is Zodiac or Drake uh, is his real name. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't show here on the cover what his powers are particularly well, um, mostly because we just didn't know how to make it dynamic. Uh, as the name implies, uh, he actually is a legacy that can transform into any of the Zodiac animals from the Chinese Zodiac. Um, his main one is obviously a dragon, because dragons are cool. Um, the play, uh, that's Tom's character. Uh, and he basically just made Jake Long, uh, from American Dragon meets Beast Boy was the uh, the concept for the character, uh, which I thought was really cool and why I took him in the first place for the game. Um, so you can't see his powers on the cover. He's not transforming into anything again because we just didn't feel like that was going to be, you know, two dragons on the cover, that's overkill, hard to do. Um, but we're going to be doing small little comics um, on the Kickstarter page, uh, and we have plans to show his power through that. Um, so... Those are the characters. Those those are the original Storm Chasers. Um, kind of, sort of. Most of them are. Um, Cinder Snap was uh, actually going to be the mentor for Nuisance in in the uh, the game before it died. So she was pretty integral to the team, um, even though she was an NPC. Um, so yeah, that that is what the cover is, and obviously you can see 
sort of the the green um new age sort of building design where everything's got gardens and trees and integrated into it um so yeah that was that was kind of that that kind of gives an uh, a good spread of what we think San Francisco looks like um the pagodas the modern buildings uh the the greenery and the the vegetation um so um yeah that that is that is the cover um and it applies to it is directly a reference to one of the playsets in the book um and then the final playset is just called the worst generation um it kind of gives a history of former teams um in the book it talks about uh cinder snap being being part of that um even though she's on the cover um and i think we talked we mentioned it gives like cool hangout places to go for teenagers um it kind of talks about how to integrate each uh it, it, the worst generation into each place place play, play set um but did we didn't really flesh that out because we kind of want you know the gms to do it themselves um but that's that's what it kind of covers it also kind of it it talks about how um each existing playbook each each canon core whatever you want to call them each published playbook sort of factors into the worst generation um, what their drama would be. Um, obviously, each play play set talks about which playbooks uh, are good and work with them outside of the um, books that are in the playbooks that are in in the book. All the core playbooks it talks about, um, and also talks about all the war book playbooks. Uh, we added those as well. Um, so pretty pretty a lot a lot of content uh, in those in those eight chapters. Uh, a little bit of something for everybody. Um, and obviously the final chapter is our playbooks, um, and we can talk about those. I think you have most of those up. Um, so the Royal, the Persona, um, the Royal we've talked about a lot. I'll just hit on it real quick. You are a child of either superpowered or non-superpowered people or a clone. You don't have to be a child. You could be any, any, basically you're just... You were made to have powers, and you were expected to have powers, and you were expected to use those to further your parents or the organization or where whoever is is your your handler. Uh, you're 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 expected to make make good on the price that you cost to make, um, which is a little you know dark, I guess, for a, a mass game. Um, it uses a similar mechanic to the newborn. You have fetters, which are kind of like lessons. Um, Things that your your family don't want you to do or want you to do, you know, make the family look good in public. Don't be around the family. Uh, don't use your powers and show your flashy ways. Those sorts of things. Uh, and when you disobey, uh, the family comes down on you pretty hard um, mechanically. So, so this is this is the new page for the royal. Um, uh, if you remember what it looked like before, it just kind of had the classic blue boundaries that the core playbooks have. Um, but obviously, it's now gold to match the artwork, uh, and it looks amazing. I think personally, mm-hmm. um, so you know we've we've touched up the playbooks to make them look you know shiny and, and fancy. Um, so I think it's going to really appeal to people. Um, the persona we talked about, Red X, is the drama. You're a hero that has like a not maybe not a overt villain, but certainly anti-hero personality that you run alongside it. Um, it has two moments of truth, one where you get to, like, you know, beat up the team, because that's the classic drama, um, and one where you, you know, 
make good on being a hero. Um, and its mechanics basically focus around that alternate personality, their moves sort of reference, depending on if you're in your hero or in your villain alias. Um, you get to pick different uh, labels for each identity that you have, and that's kind of what you roll off of. Um, it's gone through a lot of work. It's the third oldest playbook uh, that I've that I've got, and um, yeah, it's 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 seen a lot of work. Uh, the playtests have been really good for it. We've really it started off a mess. Uh, basically, it was a build your own playbook, um, and we've we've really got it kind of hammered down to that. How far is too far for a hero to go? Kind of kind of drama, um, and and how much are you willing to sacrifice to? you know, see the hurt that you've gone through. Um, you know, how, how, how much are you going to sacrifice to, to do the goal that you've set out to do? Um, so revenge is obviously a big drama element. Um, you know, I, I suppose you could kind of do a, a drug parallel of, of kind of going into addiction because um, hate can be addicting and, and, you know, anger can be addicting in, in its own way. Um, so that was kind of what we wanted to, to showcase with the persona. Um, if you want to talk about that, because um, I don't think we've talked about the mechanics or, or the moves on on that. Um, so if you want to start there, John. Uh, yeah. So um, so the the main uh, I guess you you'd say call it the extra for uh, for the persona is uh, labeled yeah. as darkness. It's the your your secondary identity, um, and uh, part of that is your you. you you pick kind of a, a central uh, like mission or goal. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, back in the beta, there was the um, uh, the doomed had, had like a mission that they were trying to succeed at before they, you know, Correct. doomed yeah. themselves. Uh, um, uh, was there a specific reason why you, you felt the, this, like the, the, the darkness needed a kind of, um, like a, a a singular mission. I I felt that it was it was just um an easier prompt. I I suppose the persona is probably the one playbook that I if I had the chance to go back and rewrite from the ground up, I probably would. Uh because I have had a lot of other con- a, a lot of other ideas for its mechanic. Um but obviously we were in the middle of playing with it. Um Tom's character in After Dark is the persona or was the persona they actually uh, did a playbook change recently into the Ronin, which is cool. Another playbook that I wrote. Um, you can find that in the Warbook uh, again, uh, available in fine bookstores everywhere, uh, or actually, really just the one. Uh, we're only on itch. Um, but yeah, it, it's. I think it's more of a, a relic of my old design process, where the core books a lot have a lot of like individual prompts, unless introduce your own. You see that in obligations with the reform. You see that in the legacy where it says, hey, here's what you have for the legacy. Um, so I think, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad design concept, um, necessarily, but I don't think it, I think it would have been better if you could create your own drama. Um, but it's basically just there to make sure that you're on point and on on theme. Um, so, yeah, that's basically why I decided to just be, um, make a list of the of things. Uh, you don't have to pick the list, as always. Anything in my playbooks is is more suggestion than um, requirement. But I wanted something that the for the role because it says when you turn to your darkness, 
I wanted. I just I felt that it was probably more appropriate to give a some give the GM a hook, I guess, uh, so that that role was easier to make a ruling on when and when it wasn't happening. Um, I've actually found a lot of a lot of issues could probably be resolved that way in our our monster tr- monster hunter uh, slash trainer game, uh, being a little bit more concrete on on those kinds of concepts. Um, but that's what the I guess what the GM and player section is for, which isn't done in, in that game. Uh, so I'll know more uh, about that, I suppose, once that's done. So but yeah, core playbooks did it. I felt appropriate, so mechanically. So that's why. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, if you have any other questions about the mechanic, um, but, uh, I mean, the, the, uh, not that Mm -hmm. specific part of it, um, so the, um, uh, the, uh, the, your darkness has kind of two, like, Mm -hmm. core moves, um, um, uh, you've already talked about the, when you turn your darkness. Uh, move a little bit, but I kind of want to to talk about the other one, the when you would pursue your darkness at the right. expense of the team. Um, um, uh, I I I hesitate to. I it, it's kind of the 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 being the traitor mm-hmm. move mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the playbook definitely has um some some concerns for being kind of lone wolfy. Um, that is kind of discussed a little bit in the GM section. Because uh, obviously, no. Even even if you are a quote traitor unquote to the team, you want to be part of the team and you want to help the team. Because uh, that's just the central conceit of masks. Like you want to be part of the team. You can't just like say screw off and do go off and do your own thing forever. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of going back to the the drama. The whole drama is that you don't trust your team enough to help you. Um, and that betrayal and that feeling of of distrust. Um, so that that move, when you would pursue your darkness at the expense of the team, that's really the big mechanical thrust for that drama. Um, originally, you see the you can see the options under when you turn to your darkness and when you would pursue your darkness. Um, so like your network of allies has information that can help you or the team. Um, those were originally just choices that you could make. Similar, it's similar to the audience. Actually, uh, the mechanic had a lot of similarities to the audience where. You could, you went down and you picked like you have a network of allies, you have a strong hero in your corner, something like you know so those kind of options. And then it had one where like your your enemies know of you and they're hunting you, or um, your fearsome reputation makes it difficult for you to um, to get anything accomplished, you know, because people are afraid of you, and they don't want to work with you. Um, and throughout playtesting, we really just felt that they didn't prompt anything; they were just kind of there. Um, so, originally we didn't have, when you, when you, when you turn to your darkness was, was the only, uh, move, and it didn't get used a lot. Um, there was a ton of times where it could have possibly been used if it was written the way it's written, which is why it's written the way it's written now. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't very useful. Um, so we did a lot of restructuring, and the mechanics, I think, are a lot better, uh, for the, for the extra, um, so... Same, same with the moves. Uh, we did a lot of, lot of work on the moves. I think you've explained the, uh, the extra pretty well. Um, I'm just looking uh, through the moves now. I, I really uh, like the, um, uh, that they're, they're, the moves are, are a little bit delineated with uh, like you're working through your either alias or your heroic mm-hmm. identities. Um, 
there was a more an even split uh, originally. Like I said, we worked a lot on the on the moves. Um, there was three that applied to your hero and three applied to your alias, and then one of those each had a if you are you know if you're in your alias you know basically if you're in the opposite you would have some triggers. Um, but that was just that was just not a good design concept. Um, it's it sounds cool in theory. Um, it, it sounds good on paper, uh, but in application of the game, it. What if you just double up on hero? You know, you you're kind of forced to, to, you know, not choose the moves you want, but choose one move of each. Um, and that was just not something that was appealing to players. A lot we got a lot of a lot of feedback. Like I really like all of the moves, but I don't want to feel like like I'm, each move kind of was worked by uh you know e- you know be broader so it could apply to both at the same time. Or have a rule like uh, "Devil or Angel on My Shoulder." When you provoke a teammate to violent action or drastic measures as your hero identity, obviously that kind of has that wording where this is clearly meant to be your hero as you know as a hero move. Um, so that that stayed. Um, but then uh, disguised another, another dude kind of gained a uh, an element of of the alias. Um, you can kind of see that element too. Um, so we we did a lot of changes. On, on that to make sure that each move was a- applicable when you were in either identity. Um, in play by post, it was it's a lot harder, obviously, to kind of switch between those identities because play by post takes forever, even when you're going quickly. Um, but at the at the table, we haven't found any real problem um, with changing. And there's even a move uh, at the bottom called costume change. When you change between your alias and your heroic identity under stress or in a short time. Uh, Obviously, there's there's some negatives or positives for that. Um, so originally, that was part of the the mechanic, um, but it replaced the move that just there was no way we could make it work the way we wanted it to work. It was just it was a bad move. Um, and I don't even remember what it was because obviously I've written like three hundred or four hundred moves at this point uh, for mass alone. So yeah, um, yeah, that just it. We just uh, to save space and to save time on on the PDF. We just and was, people really liked that move. People were really sad that it, because originally we had actually just removed it completely, um, and people were were kind of bummed on that. So we brought it back and and we had a placeholder move um, in between when we we got rid of the original move and added costume change back. And I can't remember what that was either, but obviously it wasn't good enough to keep her. It probably would have replaced breadcrumbs. Um, although I really like breadcrumbs, it's almost like a. Um, a dangerous web without having to be the the Janus or have a mask. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't yeah. Speaking of of being the Janus, uh, do you see uh, a situation where um, where someone takes the mask from the Janus and is is trying to run three separate identities? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, that was a big question when I first brought this to the masks Discord. To show off like way early on in its in its process um i would definitely recommend against it i think it's a lot of um i think it's a lot of juggling of identities you certainly can do it i just don't see why you'd, you why you'd want to um it's again it just that seems like it's just a lot of extra drama um my my suggestion would be you would make that your civilian identity um, and then you'd have a civilian, a hero, and a, a villain identity that you kind of had to juggle. 
and and boy would that be a juggling act let me tell you um but yeah i think i think you could do it um just kind of really depends on the focus of the game i guess i guess if it was a small team like if you only had three people on the team i think that would give you more time to explore that but i think the regular like four to five player team or two players two or three players would probably allow that to be a little bit better handled than four or five um so yeah i i I, it came up but i just it's, it's a fringe case um you know, you can't plan for every eventuality. I try really hard, which we've talked about in my design process, um, to take into account as many possible iterations and um, interactions between moves that can be kind of funky. Um, honestly, if if you wanted to, if you want Janus moves on your persona, I would just say choose one of choose your hero identity or your alias, and that's your mask, uh, your your mask label as well. Um, instead of having a separate label uh, because you have the mask move itself uh, and a secret identity. So that's how I would do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I just... Uh, I, I know some of my players would specifically pick this, not because of any mechanical advantage, but because of the... Uh, of just the the role-playing absurdity of yeah, being... Yeah, absolutely. People. Yeah. Um, it's it's a good question. It's a fair question. Um, yeah, like I said, it's just it's one of those fringe cases where really it's up to the GM how it plays out. Um, there was no way for us to account for that other than saying you can't do this, and that's not what we're in the business of. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the mask is already kind of a weird case because it's like a signature move that can be taken by other playbooks. Yeah, yeah so. it's it's definitely strange. Um, yeah, same same with the doomed. Uh, we actually talked about this on on my server. You can actually become the doomed, but also be a, a different playbook. If you if you start off as transform, take a doom, and then transfer into legacy and take sanctuary, you're basically playing three playbooks. Yeah, no, I hadn't considered that, but yeah, you 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 absolutely could do that, huh? So yeah, that's 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 for, that's persona. Um, if you have any other questions, uh. I'm happy to answer them. Uh, no, I think I think we kind of hit the broad strokes of, of it. Um, and this is this is one of the the ones that's going to be out for for free uh, as part of during the, the play during the the Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the art's going to be really awesome. It's not quite done uh, at the time of uh, recording this. It will be done by the time you hear this because um, time works weirdly when you're you know pre-recording stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the inheritor, I guess, is next. If you want to take a look at that one, um, we can also talk about the stretch goal playbooks because uh, we have four of those. Um, so if we get the stretch goal stuff, that's a total of ten playbooks. So really, I mean, the worst generation is going to be the size and content level of the core book, mm-hmm. um, which that's a lot of content. Um, but I've I've made a lot of content, so. Um, Really looking, really excited to get it all out, and uh, we can talk about the other other stretch goal stuff in 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 smaller strokes. Um, so the inheritor is I, I call it your the build your own legacy. Um, so the drama of the inheritor is you are part of a fallen. I call it a heroic tradition, just so there's no confusion con- confusion between it and the legacy. Um, but you know, if your leg, if, it's basically your legacy is fallen. Um, or, you know, you were part of a heroic tradition or a legacy that is a villain, you know, villainy now, or 
the you know did something awful and they were shunned and had to go into hiding and the the drama is you are bringing it back uh the the mechanic it's extra mechanic is called return to glory um and it kind of has a a doom kind of uh design um less now than it did originally uh when it was first play tested um but you can see on return to glory uh it also sort of has a prescribed drama uh became villains leader uh member of the tradition did an unspeakable crime uh let left you know let the tradition uh wither over the generations you know let it die um other heroes actively worked to see them diminished um those those prompts are there there to give you that concept um but really you could you can go with anything again everything's a suggestion not a rule uh we we ascribe to um you know rule zero pretty hard so um and then you can see there's there's some um abilities that you can pick so you actually do start off with one ability and i know we talked about in the beginning uh that I, I have uh, in the in the other two episodes uh, that not the beginning of this one the beginning of the last the last one that I have a problem with playbooks that just have one ability, um, but obviously if if I gave if you gave them uh, two abilities that would be you know like six abilities that they would have at the end and that's pretty ridiculous. Um, so as you build up your legacy or your your heroic tradition as it's called, you are basically getting access to legacy abilities. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of like, um, a audience choice, like you can pick some, some bonuses. Um, and then obviously once you're complete, once you've done that fully, uh, you can either transition to another playbook or become an NPC, uh, which is, I guess the, the doom element kind of like once, once you're done with your, your track, once, once you have completed your drama, you have the option to to no longer be in the game or change playbooks. Um, and I, I this is this one's actually the least based off of manga. Um, although this is a drama that you see in a lot of of manga or anime. Um, Naruto would be a good example um, from from uh, or the Uchiha f- uh, from Naruto. It actually would probably be be a better. Uh, choice of that or I, I actually have him in my inspiration um or the the quincy from bleach so Uryu. um so yeah those the, that's kind of where where i based off of um although their their powers selections uh aren't because when i wrote this i was looking at western comics um so uh green lantern would be a good good instance um of this um uh, I can't. I no longer can think of the Western ones that I that I was looking at, but um, I know that they're on the uh, the master sheets. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I went in on with the inheritor. Um, I don't know how much really there is to talk about other outside of that because they're um, that's that's you know their their mechanic actually is very central to the, their drama in a in a very doomed sort of way. They have they have playbook moves. Um, and they all kind of cover that same drama there. It's, it's a very, it's a little bit more focused, um, of a playbook, um, than some of the ones that I've written. Um, so not that it's a bad thing. You you need those sorts of ones. Uh, just like the legacy, the legacy, the legacy is very focused on the legacy and the protege is very focused on the, on being a protege. Um, so it felt right when I was writing it to make this kind of focused on, building back better and the moves you can see like 
Uh, mission first, when you spend a team selfishly when working to restore your heroic, heroic tradition, you may take plus one forward. That's, you know, that probably should be part of the, the um, just the core central mechanic, but it feels good as a move, too, because um, you're still kind of doing stuff for the team. Um, when you directly engage an opponent alongside a teammate, you know, uh, a lot of team moves, uh, the the Inheritor and the Royal I would actually call support playbooks because their moves are so, like, team-dependent. Um, and, and, you know, focus a lot on, like, the team pool and the team aspect of, of being with, with the people that are, you know, playing with you. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, uh, as a, like, uh, like, moving into this playbook from another playbook or moving from this playbook into another, do you see a lot of like ability to like have it be a legacy in your first playbook and then have your legacy fall over the course of the the uh, of the game and become the inheritor or or be, being the inheritor and building your legacy back up and then being the legacy yeah absolutely um and that's you you always ask really good questions uh john this is why i like coming on because you 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 always have you always have angles that I, I either have thought about, and it really makes me happy to hear that other people see those. Um, or you ask questions that I, I just never really conceptualized. Um, so you're you're a good host. You you ask great questions. Um, yeah, I, I actually hadn't thought about that, um, but I, I think it would absolutely work. Um, yeah, that that kind of blows me away that I I had never thought about that. Um, yeah, I, I think that'd be a really cool character arc, be, starting off as a legacy and then, you know, seeing seeing your legacy fall during gameplay and then, you know, taking the reins, becoming, you know, becoming the Nightwing and restoring the 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 mantle, I guess, the Bat Cape, whatever that's called in DC. Um, isn't that, I'm pretty sure there's a, even a comic about that. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be really cool. I'd actually really like to see that. I, I hope uh, one of these days I actually get a get a player. Or- I, I also like was thinking about uh, like an interaction between the royal and the inheritor of like okay. being a royal, breaking the, your chains, and then like building, like being the inheritor and building up a, a new legacy from the ashes, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I think that'd be also really cool. I think. Um, being a protege and, and restoring the honor of your your mentor and and thus by proxy you would be a really cool loop. Uh, royal into inheritor would be a really cool loop for sure. You know, yeah, your family being a bunch of uh, jerk, you know, jerkheads and assholes, uh, and and kind of being tarnished in the public all because of you know their control over you, and then you know taking up the mantle and saying, hey, you know, it's still my family. I want to do, I do, I, I still want to do right by them. You know, just because they they were you know, maybe selfish or, or not great people. Uh, they were still a net good, so I'm, I want to fight to keep the good and, and throw out the bad. Um, yeah, I, I think all of, I think all of those loops would be, would be really interesting and really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's also, uh, the, the, the return to glory. It's one of the, the few, um, extras that has its own advancement mechanic. That's kind of separate from, uh, or, or I guess playbook change mechanics that's separate from just using your advancement track. Correct. Uh, conceivably, you could view it, it was designed this way. Actually, um, you you could conceivably do three playbooks through going to inheritor and then going into something, going into inheritor from something, and then 
um, going out of Inheritor into something else. Um, obviously, the, the GM would have, a, have to really step in and, and make sure that, like, you don't have, like, 100 moves. Um, but I think the, the original conception was, like, delinquent into Inheritor. Like, you you've actively, actively distanced yourself from your former heroic tradition, and then obviously you've you've been forced to take the mantle um so we really wanted to give like uh you know you're you know you're in the downfall you're you're bringing it back up and now once it's been brought up you get to live you know in the in the glory you know in the light i guess uh to kind of cast it that way so rags a rags to riches story really uh was the was the concept with allowing it to kind of break that mold um so, yeah, that's that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. Or being transformed and, and getting restored and, and, you know, Beauty and the Beast sort of, you know, Beast becomes the prince, prince becomes the king sort of style, I guess. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, again, uh, Uchiha, uh, Sasuke Uchiha uh, from Naruto kind of starts off as delinquent, then, you know, uh, an, a, a, a villain inheritor, but an inheritor nonetheless. And then at the end, he becomes you know, you know in Bolt or Baruto, I guess is the the uh, the, the name. Uh, you know, he becomes like a protector of the the city and is is kind of you know redeemed. Uh, so yeah, I think that's yeah that that's that's the the loop, um, as as I call it. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you want to go to the next one? I. I have one last thing for the. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, yeah. it's just uh, I'm I'm I was reading through the advancement section, um, and yeah. I I noticed that uh, your the your retire from the life one doesn't say Paragon of the City. It says head of your newfound legacy, and I I'm just thinking like that that's 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 a that's a hook for a, like a generational like like end of the campaign, start of the new campaign. You play a legacy where you where like the the your former character is like the head of your legacy kind of thing. Correct. Yeah, and that was that was also the idea because again, um, I I I've said it a lot in this this episode. I, I've talked about it in, in the previous episodes that we've done, um, but I, I ascribe to living living world uh, design, and obviously this is kind of the culmination of me discussing that in, in other episodes and kind of showing off, you know, practicing what I preach. Uh, again, San Francisco only exists because of that living world design. Um, and I wanted to encapsulate that in a playbook. So that was, that was a very um, targeted decision on my part. Um, the, the inheritor definitely has, uh, because, you know, it has a three, it has a three act loop with character uh, progression. Uh, it sets up, you know, maybe in the previous campaign, the, the legacy fell. And in the new campaign, you're in, you're the inheritor. Um, or you were the inheritor in the previous one and you built it up in the next one, you're a legacy. So yeah, the inheritor is definitely the one that showcases, um, my long-term planning concept that I've, that I've developed over the years. Um, more, more than any other playbook that I, that, that I think I've written. Um, and I, and I think in that way, I, I will, as, as I, I love all of my playbooks now, I'm, I'm happy where they are all at. I can understand where some people would find the inheritor to be a little, um, a little closer to the legacy than I would probably prefer it to be if I was ever going to go back and completely rewrite it. Um, but I, I think outside of that, I think if you look at it in the way that we're talking about now, I think you can, I, I think it, 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 
is one of the cooler playbooks that I've written just because it rewards long-term play in a way that no, nothing in, in core uh, or really anything in Power by the Apocalypse really allows. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of the, the concept for it. It plays in a design space that, it, that no, other, no other playbook plays uh, in just by merit of being long, long-term where Power by the Apocalypse is usually very short term, um, so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I, it's definitely uh, interesting. It's definitely kind of like how I I would enjoy playing um, uh, games. I, I also like living settings and like coming mm-hmm. back to things if <clears throat> if not wholesale and at least small elements uh, of things uh, moving over. But right, um, but yeah, yeah, I think that's like. I, I, as a playbook, this really does kind of emphasize the the des- like the design philosophy for uh kind of for for the the worst generation from the sounds of it. Yeah, de- definitely from from uh, from a conceptual standpoint for sure. I, I also think it's it's it is a kind of choose your own adventure kind of playbook. Um, because of the way that abilities are in masks, you can you can just do your own abilities. You can make your own legacy. In a way, you you can always do that with a legacy. You can say, "Oh, I want a, I want a custom suite like this, like Zodiac, uh, c- completely custom suite." He had like weather control, um, uh, radical shape shifting, magical arms and armor, and I forget the other two that he had. Um, I could go look, but uh, we're you know focused on this, um, and it's not that important. Um, but yeah, he had a completely custom legacy suite. Um, but even more so with the Inheritor. Not only do you get to start from nothing, I mean, really, you, you get one ability that you can pick from any ability that you want um, by, you know, by raw, um, even though there's suggestions on, on the page, um, you know, those are just suggestions. And then you get to pick your own abilities through play, which is something that no really, I mean, there's a couple playbooks that let you pick a power during play, but they're, they're, they're kind of like, those are the bells and whistles, you know, those are the ribbons. But this is just mechanical. This is just from the base. So you you have a you have a lot of it's it's bland, and I don't want to say bland because that obviously doesn't sell it. It's 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 oatmeal. Um, it's a, a blank canvas. Um, it's not a bad thing that it's it's kind of ho hum uh, because you can add spice to whatever you know. It like I said, it's oatmeal. You can add apples and. Uh, cinnamon and brown sugar and peanut butter and any anything else that you want to kind of make it your your own um and i think that that's what the inheritor brings uh in a way that the other playbooks don't they have very they they are the steak and eggs or the pancakes or the waffles or the breakfast burrito you know they are what they are yeah there's some variation but they're never not going to be what they are in a way that Toast or uh, oatmeal or something very simple like like congi uh, would be so um, to put it in a poetic sense, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely understand where what you're saying here. It's um, it, in some ways it kind of reminds me of uh, like how versatile like the witch is in mm-hmm. kind of how how you you kind of build build that the way you want it and you get and like you. The, there could be massive differences between two people playing the same playbook when, like, I mean, I'm not saying every, uh, like, standard playbook, you're always going to get the same characters, but 
they're going to be running along a lot of the same line. Uh, right, yeah. And, and, the, and the drama is definitely the same. Um, but I think even that's very versatile, um, because just, just because your family felt a villainy, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, so just in each little location, like, heroes wanting to actively deconstruct your legacy, there's a lot of reasons for that. So each, each one, each core point has so much variation, and that's going to feed into the powers that you choose. I mean, that's, it's, it's very, very, very personal. Um, and not to say that other playbooks aren't, because I think every character is personal because you're the one playing it, but I, I think it's, it's more personal because from start to finish, you, you're just told you are a part of a fallen house. How does that make you feel and where are you going from there? And that's really, you know, uh, an incredibly broad spectrum question. Um, and I think the playbook really facilitates that. Um, and they get to choose a lot of playbook moves from other playbooks um, intentionally for that because it's it's all about making the thing you want, being the character that you want, and finding yourself, and kind of defining your legacy your way, which is not a thing that the legacy kind of has because there is all that expectation, and it's not really a way of an area that the protege plays into because it's it's more. What spin are you putting on something that already has a spin? This is literally what spin are you putting on this thing that no one wants to spin from? Um, so I, I think the Inheritor is a really cool playbook, um, and I'm obviously talking it up uh, because I think of all the playbooks that I've I've made, I've not really seen a lot of people excited about the Inheritor. Um, but spe- going going from from I guess uh, oatmeal to something a little bit more uh, exotic, I guess, to keep that metaphor going, um, or, or simile, or uh, analogy, uh, whichever one it is. Um, the Ranger, I, I think, is a good one to go to. Um, so this is obviously the most uh, on-the-nose themed playbook in, in, the, in the play, in, in, in the, the worst generation. Um, you know, I have the Ace. It, it's in the war book. The Ace probably should have been in the worst generation, but we loved it so much that we just wanted to get it out ASAP um, because it's, it is the shonen protagonist. Um, so obviously the ace works really, really well in San Francisco. Every ace that we've had in playtests um, and in long-term games, I'm, I'm running a, a long-term voice game with an ace and he's really fun. He has like magical powers from uh, ancient tea ceremonies. Very cool. Um, and this just shows you how versatile that playbook is. Um, but the Ranger is another one that's very on the point. Uh, obviously, it's called the Ranger because it's based off of Sentai shows and henshin sequences. Um, you could definitely play a magic girl with the Ranger. Um, you just have to kind of change the the color motif because, of course, it is based off of Power Rangers. So you have abilities based off of red, blue, black, yellow, pink. Those are the standard colors from the original uh, Sentai show. Um, and the sixth ranger, like the green ranger. Um, so I went with the stereotypical stuff. Like the red ranger usually has a sword and fire powers. Blue is usually spear and water. Black usually has axes. That's what uh, the original black ranger had and earth control powers. Uh, yellow has daggers, which is uh, they usually have a dagger um, and you know or a short sword. And uh, lightning control, which is another really popular thing in Sentai shows to give the yellow ranger. Um, and pink has bows, that's what the original pink had. 
Um, I think, if I remember properly, it's been a long time since I've seen Power Rangers. I'm 35, uh, so 1991's been a long time ago. Um, and I gave them wind control powers. That's not a power that Pink usually has, but I felt like uh, that was the appropriate one to go with, and there are some Pink Rangers that have had wind control powers. Usually they actually don't have an elemental power at all, but I wanted to keep that theme. Um, and then the Sixth Ranger has an unusual weapon and magical aptitude because the the... the the Sixth Ranger usually got some weird stuff going on, weird weapons, weird powers, like the White Ranger, or the Green Ranger had a flute dagger, uh, and, and some strange, you know, some strange sorcery because of Rita Revolta. Uh, Revolta. Um, the White Ranger had, which is the same person as the, the Green Ranger, but, you know, he had some weird powers. We don't. Need, I can't even begin to get into some of the, the, the Power Rangers and other Sentai shows that where they even deviate further. They're not even colors, they're just, like, harmony or concepts like harmony or or things like that uh, and they have you know some some pretty esoteric powers um so yeah you get you get a power you get you know those two and then you get a, a power off of a, a standard list um I, I don't know why i gave darkness control i think that was that was just to show like you were originally a bad ranger and you've beco- you've come good um basically i wanted to give them a, a couple like really cool bells and whistles on top of some fairly boring powers of you know pyrokinesis and swords that's you know it's cool but it's also kind of you know ho-hum um so you know super like high-tech vehicle uh is for common riders they have like motorbikes that, that that transform um power armor uh could be like a smaller megazord um so yeah that was that was the the concept for the abilities um i think i think um you you can see that they have a mechanic called image problem. Um, so the original concept for the Ranger was called the pilot, and we wanted to do sort of a, you know, a, a Power Ranger with a Megazord or a Gundam uh, pilot, you know, someone who has a, a, a powerful robot, you know, that's very, very standard manga stuff. Um, but it, but, and I, I wrote... Th- three versions of the pilot before I finally said this isn't working and, and kind of took a week off from it and wrote another playbook and came back to it. Um, this is I wrote the Ranger in a couple of these playbooks when I was like cranking out a playbook a week. Um, and the main issue that I found with the pilot was, what do you do when you don't have your robot? You can't have a Gundam-sized robot around with you every single day because you need to go to school or, you know, shopping. You can't bring that with you. Um, it's noticeable. So it's a really niche power. Uh, and unless the GM really factors the game into that sort of power structure, you know, you're not going to f- use the Megazord to fight, you know, Killdozer the Magnificent, the guy that's running around on on the street level with, a you know, with power tools. You're not You're not going to fight him with, you know... The, the wing Gundam. That's just not appropriate uh, sense of scale. Um, so a lot of the mechanics for the pilot were, you know, dealing without your your mech. Um, and they just weren't, they weren't engaging. It's, it, there was no, like, some of these don't necessarily have teen drama. I think, I think the playbooks in the worst generation have more teen drama than uh, the ones in the war book. Um, I mean, the witch doesn't really have a lot of team drama. There's some some stuff that you can you can definitely factor in, but the witch is definitely a playbook that's more about the mechanics than it is about being a teen hero. Um, where the Ace and the Ronin have some have better aspects of that, but um, I just couldn't think of a way 
to do that with the pilot. Um, so the other issue was when I started writing the Ranger, Rangers are in a team already. Um, so I wanted to focus, and you can see, um, as it's called, image problems, I wanted to focus on the teen drama of growing away from an in-group and going into a new in-group. Like, you know, the very popular, you're a jock, but you play video, you, you, you play D&D. And how, you know, that, make, that, will, that will alienate the people that you think are your friends because they want you to, you know, they want you to be a certain way. And when you do things outside of that certain way, they, they, you're alienated. They're, you're, you're stripped of that social group because of choices that you've made and the pressures involved in that. I think that's, I think that's a very real teen and even adult uh, drama. Um, teen dramas are also adult dramas. Uh, just, you know, um, there's a lot of overlap. So... It's all drama. Um, so that that's kind of where I started to kind of come into the conception for the Ranger. Um, thematically, obviously, it's got a lot of Power Rangers and Sentai show elements. But for the mechanical thrust, it's very Mean Girls. Um, a movie I've never seen, but I hear referenced all the time. Uh, so you have an image to uphold because you were part of a Sentai team and now you're not. They kicked you off the team. Uh, and the backstory questions answer the how and why of that. Um, and the other part of the mechanic is the the bucket list, as it's called, um, kind of works on building yourself up and finding your own identity, which, again, I think is not just a, a teen drama, but a human drama. Um, when you're When you're part of a relationship, any relationship, you take on elements of that relationship. Um, they that relationship becomes part of who you are. Uh, you find that you know that's that's very common in marriages and, and relationships with boyfriends and girlfriends, or not to be heteronormative, just any 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 dating relationship. Um, you know, you you take on aspects of your partner, and they take on aspects of you. And when you have a breakup, you sort of have to have a period of time where you rediscover who you were prior to the person that you were in that relationship. Um, and I, th I think of all the dramas in this playbook, the Royal is pretty, pretty human. And I think people will really, I, the, the Royal is, is easily the, the, the playbook that everyone says is their favorite. Um, I, I think you've even seen that on, on various discord servers. Um, if when my when my playbooks are brought up or when fan books are brought up to it at all, the royal is always always mentioned. Um, and I've said on other episodes here, and I've said on in in public, uh, Magpie likes the royal. Um, so it does something right. Um, but I think and I think if people more people saw the ranger, I think they would have a similar opinion. I think because of how real the drama is, I think everyone. I think it, the inheritor maybe you know building up a fallen dynasty that that can be a teen thing you know living up to the horrors that your fam you know your family did not a common element anymore it probably was more common back in the day when you know we had big family legacies that were not just rich people um, you know when you when you lived in a small town and everyone knew everyone and your dad was a you know a skeezy drunk or something like that um, not. Not necessarily exactly that drama, but certainly that drama exists as well. Um, that's kind of what the inheritor goes off of. Harder to find that nowadays, but you definitely can still find it. But everyone has identity issues, and everyone has issues with cliques. 
and that is the drama that the the ranger plays with um but they still they still get a super robot uh we can talk about that if unless you have questions about like moves and stuff uh not specifically uh a lot of the moves are uh just you know some pretty good power rangers references um yeah yeah, yeah mighty morphin i mean all of them are all of them are basically neat uh yeah, more than meets the eye is a Transformer reference. Ba- you know, basically, they're either references to Power Rangers or Transformers or, you know, that sort of style or super robot stuff. Um, or, you know, peer pressure is a con- is just a common term. Building bridges, that's a that's a common term. Uh, in crowd is, a, you know, a very clicky, you know, new new uh, term. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the moves all kind of work around influence and... Um, you're, you know, there's a henchin. The more than meets the eye is like a henchin sequence, uh, transforming before combat. Um, building bridges is all about the relationship and making new relationships. So that's that. You know, the the moves generally. I, I think we talked about this when we talked about in the first episode that we had. I try to make moves that gel with the drama. Um, I have a, uh, I just lost the word. I, I try to have a two move structure is i guess the term um where two moves are about the drama two moves are about the team and the drama and then two moves are about the drama and npcs uh, and you can you can see that in mighty morphin or in, in the ranger where mighty morphin and more than meets the eye are very clearly about like the flavor uh and and very personal and then teenager with attitude or building um, peer pressure or in crowd or kind of outward team, but also kind of outward uh, NPC stuff. Um, so, um, and then one move usually either adds to a basic move or re- replaces a label. Uh, building bridges appears to mask, which is a move that doesn't get used a lot. Um, so, I like, I actually really like adding things to the list of pierce the mask because I feel like it incentivizes you to use it more. Um, so yeah uh also uh so i guess talking about the the moment of truth or the super robot um similar to the royal as well um the royal messes around with the moment of truth and we talked about it before where every time you use the moment of truth you you lose one of those lessons they're called fetters on the royal um and let's you know it plays with the moment of truth in a way that no core book plays with um and the ranger is is even more wild than that Whereas you you don't have a moment of truth at all, um, it's your superpower. It's your super robot. Uh, it's called once an episode because haha, you know, joke jo- joking on the the you know you, you pull out the the Megazord once an episode. It's 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 expensive, um, and cost you know time of time of and time cost, um, and it has a list of things that you can do. And instead of having a moment of truth, you can choose more options uh, to use you know to broaden the use of your super robot um so that was you know that was the idea of taking out the moment of truth um, so i don't i know i just that doesn't it didn't feel mechanically appropriate to give them a moment of truth because they're they're still finding themselves and the moment of truth is kind of about define being defined you know showing what you define yourself as uh so i felt like it was probably not appropriate to give them that because that kind of mechanically goes against the concept of the playbook um, and it let me put in the the giant robot because I absolutely had to get that in there somewhere. So, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a really uh, like good way to to bring it in in a way where you don't have to like justify the narrative around like the the giant robot is either always there or never there. Right. Yeah. 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 That, that was definitely the that was definitely the idea. Um. um and, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and um, I, I like that you like um because it's not the your moment of truth you don't have to like uh like it's not it doesn't have that quite as much like raw narrative power um like the way you've broken up uh like what it can do into like five little abilities Mm -hmm. i think that's um uh definitely uh like a a good way to 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 add a, a method of advancement to it that isn't uh, that isn't, it becomes twice an episode and then three times an episode, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. It, 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 the, the idea was definitely to, as you get, as you, you take advances, it's not, yeah, it's not the, I get to use this three times. It's, okay, I can use it in this context or this context or this context. context. So it's easier to provoke using it, but it's not incentivizing you to use it more often, I guess, is 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 the way to phrase that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, definitely, definitely a uh, a unique ability. Um. And I there's yeah there's no playbook like that. Um. So and that's kind of my deal. I like to kind of um run in that space. Um. So yeah. Um. We can move on to the relic if you want. All right. Well, um, I I've got the the my my one last let's talk about changing playbooks question. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you get to keep your giant robot when you get a moment of truth by changing playbooks? Um, so I just like anything with changing playbooks, there's there's just so much um, gray space in what you're allowed to keep. Um, <clears throat> if you were changing to the delinquent, I'd probably say no. But if you were changing to like the brain, I think it'd be really cool to have the robot factor into the shame. Um, I think you could make an argument for the protege keeping the robot, um, especially if your mentor has, like, power armor, um, and keeping that mechanic. Obviously, you would not be able to expand it anymore, um, and I, I think it would be good of the GM to limit what you could use it for. Um, like, if you go into a playbook and you have three of the five choices, because you can do that, um... I think it's totally fair for the GM to say, "Look, you can't use at least one of these." You know, um, the scope is the scope has changed. You you have rules now. Um, you know, your mentor does not want you to use it uh, in this way, or uh, the city is cracked down, or um, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that that would be fair. Um, yeah, no one's no one's. You know, obviously our play tests are very focused. Um, so there's not a lot of room for changing playbooks and there's just, there's so much vari- variation and variability in changing play- playbooks. I don't, I, I've had a couple of playtesters ask me to do longer form playtests so that we can see how things change when they change playbooks. Um, obviously the persona that we have with Tom, uh, changed playbooks to the Ronin and that was pretty seamless. Um, they lost the darkness, um, and they, you know, they gained some stuff and they lost some stuff. Um, I just, I just, I don't see any merit in playtesting uh, specifically for changing playbooks because 
either you would have to play test every playbook change, um, but it's so dependent on the narrative that there, there's just no time to do that. Um, mm-hmm. There's not enough people to test that. There's not enough time to test that. Uh, every table is going to be different. Um, so yeah, I I didn't think about. I basically my my mindset was. If you change playbooks, you probably lose your 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 giant robots. Um, maybe you, I mean, maybe you don't lose it for good. Maybe it's still some you know you have access to it, and the GM lets you pull that trigger like you know once every couple sessions. Um, the I I I I always go through and write a character uh, at the end of every playbook uh, creation so that I can test it out and see how character creation goes. Uh, that's kind of like my final test. Um, like you know, it's a diagnostic test. Um, like you just like you would when you're making a computer, you turn it on, uh, and you you mess around with it for a few minutes to make sure that everything's working. Um, so similar, you know, obviously a similar concept. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's kind of a good way to go. Um, my ranger that I wrote actually lives in their giant robot. Um, so I thought that was really cute. Like the giant robot by day is like a noodle shop that they live in like on the the legs of the noodle shop and the upper part is the is the small cramped apartment because it's big obviously um and in that case it, whatever playbook i changed to with that character i think it'd be fair that the robot stays but maybe it no longer moves you know maybe it just no longer can be repaired um because the idea was that it the reason it's turned into a noodle shop is because it it can't really move around very much and I, I have, like, rockets on it that, that I can call and do, like, an airstrike uh, was the concept with that. Um, so that that way I still have access to the giant robot because I, I try to make weird characters when I do a diagnostic test and, and really test the, you know, where where the boundaries of the flavor are. Um, so, yeah, in that case, I think as a G, if I would expect the GM to say, okay, it's finally broken, you can't... You you can't supply it with missiles anymore. You know the the missile system's broken. Finally, mm-hmm. um, you know it, it is now fully broken down. It is now a permanent noodle shop. Uh, but a cool and you know an interesting looking noodle shop. Um, so yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think there are definitely cases. Um, I mean, I, I I guess I outlined a couple where I think it would make sense. Um, I I would like. I I think the big thing that I'm really excited for and hoping for is a lot of player feedback. I love hearing about how, and you know this, you you and I have talked about this before. Um, I like hearing about how people play with my characters, and I really, really like it when they come to me and say, "Yeah, I used your your uh, your royal to to play this completely off the wall like character, and that in I never had a thought about that." And I think that you know, once once it's out of my, I, I subscribe to the death of the author um, very much. So once it's out of my hands. It's it's everyone's to play with, um, and every once in a while, you know, it's like a living on a beach. Every once in a while, you get a message in a bottle, and you read it, and it expands your horizons. And and um, that's that's the fun part about being a, a content creator in a hobby like tabletop RPGs. Um, it's it's most gratifying when someone comes to you and says, "Here's this thing I did with this thing that you made," and there's there's that that connection. Because con, you know, creator, uh, user interface. But at the same time, when they come to me and 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 tell me a thing that they did that I didn't expect, they're the creator now, and I'm not. And I like, you know, it, it changes the relationship a little bit. Um, 
and that's that's the most gratifying to me. So I look forward to that. I hope I get to see that a lot. Yeah. I, I want to hear about those characters. Um, but yeah, you want to go to the relic uh, and the transfer? Yep. And then we can hit uh, search goals. And uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, so the relic uh, was the second playbook that I wrote for a... It actually precedes the persona. Um, the relic is kind of what got me back into writing uh, mask content. Uh, one of the players, one of the players that was in the original uh, San Fran game and Storm Chasers, um, and is the one that asked not to be put on the label or on on the cover. Um, so not going to say their name. Um, they wanted to play in San Fran San Fran Three, which is after Dark. Um, that's our other play by post game, our newest one, our our ongoing one. Um, they wanted to play like a Samurai Jack style character. Um, so in the past, I have said very vocally on the first episode that you guys can go back and watch. We've referenced a lot. Um, this has been like a progressive conversation, so definitely go back and, and check those out uh, and give uh, listen to these nerds a lot of views on those. Um, I don't like time travel. I'm not a fan of time travel. I I I just I don't interface with it in in a way that is enjoyable. Um, the Relic is a time travel playbook. Um, so, uh, I guess I'm a big fat liar. Um, so yeah, it, it is a person from the past who has been brought to the present, is the the drama. Um, so obviously the big central issue is adapting to a modern world. Um, and it's kind of a teen drama in, in a way where... Especially if you're, um, so I know you're not in the U.S. Um, do you know who the Amish are? I am aware of the Amish, uh, if nothing else through cultural osmosis with American television. Sure. Uh, so those of you who are not familiar with the Amish, they are a religious denomination, a Christian religious denomination, uh, that eschews technology. Um, and there's a couple offshoots like the Mennonites uh, that interface with some technology, but the, the Amish are very hardcore. Um, mo- it's like, and again, it's it's a sliding skill, but the deep Amish are very like they don't use power tools, they don't use electricity, they don't have running water, um, they don't use any, they don't tra- they don't travel in cars, they you know, just no technology whatsoever. Um, but one of the things that they do do is when you become an adult. Um, in their society, uh, because they're very cloistered. Um, you know, they they live in small little, basically feudal villages. At, um, at this point, uh, farming community. They, they they farm. Uh, they make furniture. You know, uh, that's they. You know, that's basically all they can do. Um, that's kind of their just their their thing. Um, they will send out their seventeen and eighteen year olds into the modern world. And I can't imagine how insane that must look. You've, you know, a lot of these kids live on these farms, you know, up until 18. They've never seen a car. They don't, you know, some most of them by this by this point, just because of how much society is encroached on, on their land, um, know what, like, running water and electricity is. And I know some of them even have cell phones now, Um so that, like, if something happens, they can, you know, get in contact with people fast. Um, so I, there's some technology that's that's creeped in, um, but you know, they you know they don't know anything 
really about the society. They they live apart from from modern society. Um, so in that way, there's that kind of drama. But I think even in in a typical teen sense, um, I grew up in the '90s. We didn't really have uh, internet. Uh, definitely, smartphones are a thing that I have a problem with. Um, my 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 smartphone is a wonder to me, and I have no idea how to use like half the things that are on it. Um, so I think just learning new technology and learning as societies advance is a, is a, a central drama that everyone kind of has uh, to some greater or lesser extent. Um, and, and kind of this is kind of a, a first world uh, privilege, uh, so checking that. Um, you know, there are tons of people all over the world who don't have running water and who don't have access to modern medicine, and, and then they finally do. So that's kind of a culture shock. So I kind of wanted to highlight that. Um, so, you know, there's some, there's some social issues that are, that are being addressed by these playbooks, uh, like we talked about, um, with some of the playtests, or the playsets, like, you know, police brutality and the role of heroes in a society um, in, that, in that vein. The, the relic is, is kind of, of, of that as well. Like, how much do we cling to tra- tradition and how harmful tr- some traditions are uh, and, and how to remove them and what's harmful about our modern society because obviously that's something that the relic would would have to worry about um you know it, it, it's it's a it's a focus and a lens on what we keep and why we keep it and what we bring into our life and why we do that um and that's facilitated by the mechanic called adaptability it's a sixth label um, similar to sort of like the soldier label, but I think more integrated into the mechanic. Because um, every time you are ad- addressing a modern thing that you're not used to, you roll to see how you interact with it. Um, so it's basically, you know, I don't necessarily think you need that prompt. I think you could easily do that through the narrative. Um, but, you know, there should be some mechanical aspects of helping you, help, helping guide you through that culture shock, because I think that's not something that people are really familiar with enough to do without that prompt. Um, so of, of the mechanics, I think the relic actually is the lightest of the, of the mechanical books in this, in this, uh, worst generation. Um, this it really is, it really is, it's a sixth label and, and, a and a prompt, uh, which is very light. Um, but they also have a required move called ancient wisdom. Uh, when you apply your old life to a modern situation, roll plus adaptability, that is your sixth label. Um, instead of the required label. Uh, so that easily could have been moved up into the culture shock, but I think it works better as a required move and not just an extra mechanic move. Um, because obviously when you leave uh, the relic, and I suppose, I, I, I imagine we'll talk about uh, some playbook transitions um, here at the end, uh, like we have been, um, you lose ancient ancient wisdom, but you may not lose adaptability. You may never actually lose that that label, um, and you may never lose. You actually may never lose the adaptability mechanic, uh, even when you when you change. Um, but I think you should lose ancient wisdom because you're no longer leaning on on your old life. You've you've adapted enough to the modern world where you. Um, you're still adapting to new things because that's never going to, you know, no, as long as you live, you're not going to stop adapting to new things. Um, and you're definitely going to have a learning curve as, as being a person from the past. Um, 
but yeah, so that that was the idea as why uh, ancient wisdom is a move because that's easier to drop instead of the you know finagling around the extra mechanic. Um, and then obviously the all the other moves kind of focus on you know honor and tradition and you know finding out you know new stuff. Um, one my favorite move actually on the, on the playbook is called familiar soul. When you pierce the mask of someone, you may ask one or both of the additional questions. Uh, and it kind of puts that drama onto someone else. One question is, what couldn't you live without? What do you wish could change back to how it was before is the second question. Um, and I and I think those are, like we talked, like I said before, um, I think those are the central dramas of this playbook. Not so much um, adapting to new situations, but the drama of, like, a, a, a very religious family coming to terms with the you know uh gay marriage or um i mean I, may, I think that's that's probably the best example that i can give um or trans rights issues people people finally accepting trans people for being people and not you know some weird thing um i think i think those are two really good cultural touchstones that we're going through now and having still having conversations now um, I've, I've, I'm open about this. I'm, I'm openly gay. Um, our, uh, company is really big on diversity and, and promoting, um, LGBT issues and just issues in general. Um, so obviously we kind of put some of that into, into our books. Um, and I think this is one of the ones that really highlights that. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm 35. I grew up, um, not ever thinking gay marriage was going to be a thing that we would see. Uh, in the United States, on a uh, like a federal level, and I thought it would be a state thing, and it was for a long time until recently. Um, and yeah, I never I never expected that. Um, weed legalization, pro that. Um, th- that's moving toward uh, full legalization. So you know, uh, even in my own time, I'm seeing old traditions being rolled back and and changed because we now see them for the toxic and problematic elements that they are. Um, progress is slow. And I think that's also a thing that you see in this playbook. Um, because again, I don't think you'll ever, I don't, I don't think when you change playbooks, you should lose adaptability necessarily. I think, I think that's a conversation that you should have with your GM, obviously, but I think the knee jerk reaction from GMs would be to remove it. And I think that's wrong. I think no matter what playbook you change to, I think you should keep adaptability and that adaptability mechanic. Um, yeah. I, I can think yeah. of only one situation, and it's a real niche one where you would lose adaptability. Sure. And that's yeah, sure. uh, by having the second half of the campaign take place in the ancient past where your character returns as a harbinger. No, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I like that. I don't really care for the harbinger, but uh, that might actually be one time where I'd be okay with people using it. Um, yeah, it's yeah. a very niche case. <laughs> But, super, super, super niche. Absolutely. Um, and man, what would you do with the other playbooks? But yeah, that that would be cool. Yeah. Any 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 playbook transition questions or questions on moves and stuff? Um. Uh. Not really. This pretty, this, this yeah, one, this one's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I think my 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 only playbook transition was was the the one question uh, about. Yeah. Uh, because this is also a, a bit of a, like, it, it's a, a playbook that doesn't have a lot of, like, obvious, like, uh, directions you would move as a, as changing playbooks. Because 
it's going to very much depend on who you are, like what kind of person this the the relic is, what kind of hero they are, what what does yeah. it mean once they're settled that like who they're going to like you know uh like what their new drama is going to be is going to vary like wildly depending on the um on the person like it's like you're you're not gonna you're not likely to see a legacy of relic go into a go be a legacy uh unless there's some weird time yeah. shenanigans going on but um um yeah i mean i i've i think um I mean, you you can just join a legacy as a regular as a regular player being picked up as part of the legacy. Obviously, you're not like, you know, blood related. I see a lot of legacies. I see a lot of times that legacies are always like a family thing. Um, then they don't they don't necessarily have to be. You know, you you can join a legacy. Like, um, one of the coolest legacies that I had was um in a play by post game that died. It would have it would have been play. It would have been San Fran too. Uh, but it didn't last long enough to uh to to count. Um. Where the legacy was a bunch of uh, god hunters, like they hunted down, you know, creatures from the ley line uh, that were, you know, considered totem gods and stuff like that. And it was a recruitment legacy and not a blood legacy. You know, anyone anyone could join, um, but not everyone could be the top, you know, top person that was going to be the next leader. Um, so in in that case, I think you could easily go from relic to legacy, but definitely not. Oh well. You know, I'm da- you know Damian Wayne is is blood related, but none of the other Robins are. So in that case, I that's more protege. But yeah, so um, yeah, Legacy uh, Doomed would probably be a, an easy easy one to go into because uh, like you're gonna go back in time finally, um, and obviously that's a pretty nasty Doom because you're gonna be sent back to a, a non modern time after you've adapted to the modern time. That's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, delinquent is a, is one I could see, you know, kind of saying, well, I don't, I I have adapted, but I don't like what I've adapted to. I think that's a pretty easy one to go to. Um, bull, I think, yeah, of the, of the core playbooks, I think doomed, delinquent, and bull are the the three big ones. Janus, maybe, um, to a lesser extent, um, that that determined that would be determined if you picked up some social obligations. I think um, bull bull less. I, I I guess I really don't know how you would go into bull more if you want to keep the I'm a science experiment that's gone you know yeah that's gotten um that that typically goes away when you transfer to bull and you just focus on the rival rival slash love sort of thing but yeah I, I think I think the relic is is pretty straightforward um and it, I mean it's kind of designed that way because I think the drama that it interfaces with is so big and and so all present for them in a way that the other time travel books also kind of have. Um, they don't really need a whole lot going on because their whole existence is a lot going on. And, and, and in a way that the innocent and harbinger don't have because of how distant the time is supposed to be. Um, I mean, one, I guess one, one final point to talk about is how far back in time it should be. Um, I have someone who wanted to play an Egyptian prince uh, which obviously that's incredibly far back. Um, the further back you go, I think the harder it will be to. I, I think I think you'll be rolling adapt the adaption stuff a lot the further back you go. And I think so. Really, it's it's up to you how much you want to interface with the drama, like how how central you want that drama to be, both as a GM and a player. And I think that's in the, the you know the GM and the player should always be talking. Um, 
there should always be an out of character conversation going on uh, between the, the between the GM and the player. Um, but definitely before you pick the playbook, I think it's really uh, I think it's it should be a, a point of discussion of how far back is too far back and how early like how how close to modern times is too close to modern times. Um, and not not only that, but um, you know I've had people who want to be from the Arth- like Arthurian legend. The original concept that started the relic to begin with was that they were a witch that was burned at the stake during the Salem witch trials, and they actually had you know actually had magic powers, and the magic power saved them and brought them to the present. Um, so not only is there a question of how um, how late or early is too late or close to modern times, but also the discussion of how supernatural really was the past, um, because that brings up a whole, that's a whole lot to bring to the table. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, you know, is magic, was magic real back then? Were there people with superpowers back then? Who knows? That's a, you know, that's something that you have to talk about. Um, but that's cool, I think, because that, it, it really kind of flavors the, the setting, because, you know, if the Salem witch trials were real and there really are witches, that means that there are there probably still are witches. And are they are they heroes? Are they outside of the heroes spe- spectrum? Are they villains? Are they not even related to metahumans? Like, what's going on with that? So I think it it actually raises a lot of really interesting questions that the other time travel books don't. Um, and I think that's the one reason why I find it more palatable. Palatable. Um, also, it's a one way ticket unless it's not. Uh, you're not really dealing with with timey wimey. Uh, loophole stuff. Um, it's it's a pretty one and done deal. You're from the past. You're in the future. Uh, get used to it. You know, mm-hmm. um, unless you do go into the doomed, and then it's you're going back to the past and uh, also deal with it. You know, there's there's no like wishy washy stuff of like if I change the past, do I change the future or anything like that? It's 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 pretty concrete. Yeah. Uh, there's no. Yeah. Yeah. Also, so. the fact that the the uh, the relic is probably a little bit more removed from the the setting as a as a historical figure rather than like the innocent is where they're like also also i'm here but even yeah yeah i'm i'm here but not it's it's not great uh and and the harbinger is uh all of this stuff happened and i'm here because it wasn't great so yeah definitely more removed than the other two time uh, time travel playbooks because it's you're here <laughs> that's it full full stop Mm-hmm. Um, so the final, the final playbook that's going to be in the book without stretch goals is the transfer, um, and I call it the mundane outsider. Um, you are from outside a super city, um, because obviously not every city is going to be like Halcyon or San Francisco in the in the world. Um, so it is the playbook. I would say if you are not familiar uh, with comic books our manga in the case of the worst generation the transfer is the playbook for you because it literally is you don't know what's going on play to find out um the basic the basic concept i had was like clark so we have superman but we don't have clark kent becoming superman uh like smallville if you know smallville Mm -hmm. uh it was a popular show i don't know if uh that reference is is too old for uh for your audience or you specifically. I have um, no idea what our audience's demographics are, but I understand the reference. Okay. Yeah, I that's really strange that SoundCloud doesn't give you analytics like that. Um that's a shame. Um I love I'm a big analytics guy. Uh that's one of the things I really like about itch. They give you so many fucking analytics. Mm-hmm. Um 
and uh, Tom, who is our business consultant, and I like fucking talk about them every single day and uh, it, have a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, so Smallville is for for the people who don't know, it's basically who was Clark Kent before he became Superman. So it's called Smallville. That's the city that or the town that he grew up in. So it's about him being a teenager and not being Superman and, and learning to deal with his powers. I think you know it's very episodic. They did do some long-term storytelling by you know by the mid seasons and obviously by the end season there was like you know each season was kind of a story arc. Um, but it started very episodic as many shows of that time did, where it was Clark has a pro- you know a problem happens in Smallville. Clark has a power that he has to learn how to use to solve the problem. Um, and in that way, the transfer is, is that, um, you've come to the super city to stretch your legs and learn your powers. Um, and you are a fish out of water. It's, it's, it's your classic fish out of water story, uh, which again, it's, it's, it's the mundane outsider. The outsider is I am from a strange land and I'm in the human world. This is you're a human and you're, you're now in a very strange place because, you know, you're from rural Kentucky where they don't have people who can fart laser beams and, and fly, you know? You're kind of unique in that sense where, where you come from. Uh, maybe there's, like, an old, old-timey old superhero who's retired and doesn't really like using his powers, but you're new and young and you're just figuring them out. Um, so there's obviously some uh, some puberty um, drama parallels there, you know, learning to be who you are. Um, very common in kind of the Smallville uh, story, you know? Uh, powers as puberty is is a is a trope uh, that's pretty common, um, not just in Smallville, Smallville, but fiction in general. I mean, that's basically every young adult novel is powers uh, powers as a stand-in for uh, puberty and and, a, and becoming an adult, uh, and kind of I mean, really kind of the concept of masks in general. If you think about it, um, you know, the whole process is is learning to be an adult hero. Um, or n- not wanting to be a hero and, and retiring, I suppose that is an option. Um, so their mechanic is exactly what you'd expect. It's it's kind of your powers have quirks. Uh, you have a power that doesn't have any quirks, but like uh, the example I can use from the play from the playtest, uh, the guy could only fly if he had a cape on because he didn't believe he you know it was just a, an issue of I can't fly without a cape because that's what every hero has every hero that flies has a cape um he had laser beam eyes basically he was he was he was basically playing uh superman um but he couldn't use his laser beam eyes without eating carrots um we found that those were really difficult to kind of pressure with the moves um so the quirks really should be things that like aren't so well did you eat carrots today like that you know shouldn't be asking that every single time uh, that you you want to use a power, um, so like not you know not having super strength unless the person that you're in love with is in danger. Things you know more solid prompts are things that the quirk should be not quite so narrative. Dip- like I don't even know what you'd call like eating carrots. Like it's just so removed from the narrative that it's just a, a check mark. You know, um, it should be things that. That are important. Like I can't use super strength. Like I said, can't use super strength unless my loved one is in danger, or I can't. I can't fly um, when exposed to kryptonite, or you know things like that. Things that have more mechanical oomph uh, that you can, you know, that the GM can kind of throw at you to, to provoke um, that sort of thing. Um, 
Also, they're kind of, you know, homespun wisdom kind of characters. There actually is a move called Homespun Wisdom, um, which is all about, you know, talking about life on the farm uh, to make people feel better. Or, you know, uh, well, you know, when I when when Ma and Pa went down to the suit, you know, the supermarket, they would have to go three ways, only, you know, uphill, downhill and, and through, you know, things to, to be folksy and homesy. Uh, our transfer would make was from Louisiana, so he would make Creole food for everybody, and that was kind of his homespun wisdom move. Um, so yeah, th- that's kind of the whole their whole concept. They're they're just they're you know kind of kind of similar to the Beacon that they kind of are the team heart, but also kind of the outsider where they don't really have any context of what's going on. So they get to you know they get to ask questions like oh what's this villain and you know obviously the 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 parallels there, the players that, you know, a, a protege and a transfer are a really good combo, because, or a legacy and a transfer are a really good combo, because the legacy and the protege kind of know what's going on in the superhero world, and they have moves where they can reference that information quickly. And then in the RP of it, they can relay it differently to the transfer, and the transfer, you know, gets to play dumb. Um, and, you know, obviously you can play a transfer who's smart and it isn't, you know, a yokel or anything like that. You can play someone from Cleveland, Ohio, who just isn't, a, which isn't, you know, just isn't a superhero, you know, town. And they don't have the same problems that superhero towns have. Um, but, you know, they're smart and they're, you know, they're not, gee, gosh, guard darn, you know, tractors and in, in, in mudden, you know. So, um, there's, a, you know, it's obviously... a fairly more niche than a couple of the other ones that we've talked about um in that you it is the assumption that you really don't kind of know what's going on um but you can you can make that a variable it's a sliding scale of how on you know you could you could play deku from my my hero academia who didn't have powers but developed them but it's knowledgeable about the hero world but doesn't really know the politics and the ins and outs like you know powers you know people's powers because you're a mega fan but you're not really, you know, you don't know the the proper um, cultural things. Um, like, don't talk to Tiger Man at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, you don't know the nuances of, of the society. Um, you don't know the rules of the society. Even even though you know elements of it, you don't know the ins and outs. And you, you're, you're prone to being, you know, kind of making... making um, snafus in in a you know making faux pas and inappropriate comments when just by by ignorance um so uh so i think in in, in a lot of ways the transfer is is sort of the um it's the san fran sobro sightseeing uh playtest but the playbook um and obviously playing the transfer in san fran sobro sightseeing would be a double whammy um of this you know the the you know it, it, they go hand in hand you don't know anything but everything's designed to tell you things that you don't know so um yeah a lot of, a lot of buy in from the gm and even the the transfer because they get to, they get a lot of um a lot of say in the narrative um about introducing concepts and exploring the concepts that are introduced by other players um you know, one of one of the rules in the book is be fans of the players, and it goes not just for the GM but the players too. And I and I think the transfer plays best when you are a fan of the players. The transfer I think probably wouldn't work very well in just like a pickup game. I think the transfer works better the more you know the people at your table. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, questions 
playbook idea or playbook questions um, for other playbooks? Um, I guess my my main one is: I uh, do you see the transfer as something that you can't uh, switch to, like uh, use as a second playbook? Yeah, um, in kind of the same way that I don't think the Royal is a playbook that you can choose to to um, transfer into. Um, also, in, in a way that I I don't really think you can you can start. I think it, I think it's easier to um, go into the persona than starting as, as the persona. Um, I think yeah. On the flip side, I think the transfer the royal I think you can you is is easier, but the transfer definitely is harder to transfer into. Uh, if that makes sense. Interestingly enough, uh, the original name was uh, was not the transfer. I forget what it was actually. Um, it was really clunky, um, but now it, uh, the transfer is is obviously the the, the going name for it. Um, yeah, I I don't really see a lot of ways to go unless you go to a new city, but then everyone else is going to a new city, um, or you're the only player that's moving and everyone else is making new characters. I guess you could do it that way. Um, that's really niche. Um, obviously, but similar to a relic where, you know, playbook changes are kind of, you know, niche, um, going the opposite way. Um, yeah, the, 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 the relic is, is another one that you really don't, you don't go into, um, more so that you start off with. So yeah, definitely. There's, there's definitely those two playbooks, um, this, this and the, the relic, um, that, yeah, I, I don't see much, much chance to move into. Uh, you either start as one or you don't. You don't get that access. Um, luckily, you can just purchase their moves through advances, so that's that's not a problem. But um, yeah, and I, like I said, I think I think Persona is definitely one um, that is is more enriching um, if you um, if you go into from another character because you've already built up that heroic identity, so that you kind you kind of have more. Um, more of a foundation to build that villainous character off of. Um, Ranger, I think, would be easy to go into, especially if you are going into a new team with new people. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Ranger could could work either way. Um, but yeah, definitely the, the the relic and the transfer are are two that you just yeah kind of kind of barred to you. Um, so um, unfortunately, this is the way the nature the nature of their drama, I suppose. Yeah, um, no, that's I. Not every every playbook is going to work in every situation. I I was just curious if yeah, that, sure. that was a thing you you like, like you had considered um, um about that. But it's like like I said, that's mostly that was that was uh my only major question because again the much like the relic, I feel the transfer kind of becomes the playbook that their drama is heading towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. De- oh, yeah. E- even more so than the relic, I think. Um, the tr- the transfer definitely the arc is. I, I the transfer whole arc is is growing into your power and becoming someone else. Um, and and realizing who you are. So, um, yeah. There, I I think you could go into almost any playbook. You definitely could go into any core playbook from the transfer. I think you could go into most of the playbooks that I've written. Um. Except obviously the, the the relic you can't go into um, really easily, uh, but that's just 
kind of the, the point that we're going on is that, you know, um, so yeah, def- definitely, uh, the trans, the transfer is, is for sure the, I'm, I am, I am not sure who I really am. So I'm, I'm playing to find that out. Um, and it's designed in a way where it's very beginner friendly. Um, so, you know, if, if the player is not certain about any of this, you know, hand them the transfer and say here, um, and you know, it teaches them about abilities and how to use them in the context of stuff. Uh, it's it's very beginner friendly. The mechanic is probably a little bit more advanced. I think that would take a little bit of time for new players to learn because it's kind of funky. Um, in but in and how it works with play, Power by the Apocalypse. But even then, I think it's a good learning experience for new players because it, basically the the prompts are make your own. They're basically your custom moves. I mean, they're going to just prompt based on what you make the quirks to be. Um, and in that way, it teaches you how the um, general conceit of moves go. Um, so, yeah, barring one, barring just writing them out as actual moves, which is actually what I had in the first place. You just basically put in keywords for your um, for your quirks, um, but that was really that was even more clunky. Um, I don't know if the all the the new way or the way that it is now. It's not really new. I've had the transfer written for a really long time. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if the new, if the current way is, is any better or any less clunky, but it certainly is easier to pick up, um, instead of learning like 50 different keywords that are things that you need to learn anyway, because they're, they're inherent in the system. But, um, yeah, uh, you, you want to go over stretch goals real fast? Cause we do, we do have some. Sure. So we have four playbooks. Uh, like I said, um, the defector. Uh, the Smith, the Tactician, and the Vessel. Um, they're on the master sheet if you want to take a look at them. I'll, I'll just kind of gloss over them. We don't have to give as much um, preamble. Um, so the, the, the Defector was actually going to be one of the six playbooks that went in originally. Um, and it was just not very good. Um, their mechanics were interesting, uh, but their moves were kind of similar to Burn, and I wasn't really thrilled with them, so I kind of scrapped them, and that's how the Ranger came in. So the Ranger replaced the Defector originally, um, but obviously the Defector is kind of back in. Um, it is now completely different from the ground up. The one thing that the Defector did originally that was interesting, I think, um, and I don't, I don't know if you've seen uh, the Wuxia, uh game for Power by the Apocalypse. Let me find the name of it. Fists of Wuxia, I, th- um, I think is what it's called. Um, you basically have like a... I'm going to mangle a word here, but you basically have like a template that you put on your playbook um, where, you know, you pick like a label and you get some abilities and you get like a couple moves that you you get. Kind of like how the, the, the Witch was originally. Um, so for the Defector, like you had Fence. Basically, the idea was that you were... Basically, it was like the reformed, but more mechanically robust. Um, the defector, you were part of an organization before, and you ter- you betrayed them. Um, and the the drama now is like rebuilding trust after you know breaking trust. Something that kids get to deal with. Something that adults get to deal with. Um, and but before the what you were like the enforcer, like you were a bouncer for villains, or you were a fence, you were selling illegal goods. So based on that, you would pick one of the, one of the, one of four labels. Obviously, mundane was off the list. Um, just you can't be a mundane villain. 
um, was the, the thought process. Um, and it, it gave you your playbook label, and it gave you a couple, like, you know, like, the, the fence had, like, shape-shifting because you had to, like, be able to sneak around, or the enforcer had toughness because, you know, you could take hits. Um, and they, like I said, they had, like, burn. Uh, it was called infamy. Like, you could, like, lean on acts that you did before. Um, now it's it's pretty it's pretty standard as a playbook. It has moves. Um, its extra mechanic is all about gaining trust and using and like losing trust. So it it really plays. You don't have influence. You actually have like a different thing. Um, so it's 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 all kind of um, playing with the influence system, not just influence with um, NPCs but PCs as well. Um, the Smith is kind of a mundane brain. Um, it's all about self-reflection and self-improvement, which obviously is a very teenage and, again, very human uh, drama. Um, so they get a masterwork that they build. Um, so it kind of is like a third ability that they get to choose, but it can break down, it can get damaged. Um, one of the concepts was like um, the... Suit wars from Iron Man, like you, you have an Iron Man suit, but you've made a lot, and people have got their hands on them and are using them or want to get their hands on them and use them. Um, and again, it can break down, and you have to spend time to build it. Um, but yeah, their their drama is you are also a work in progress, and you are trying to make yourself a masterpiece. Um, so you could play like the the swordsmith who wants to refine the, their craft to you know the extreme and they you know they they so they neglect themselves over their art um so you know very very real drama um that people deal with on a daily basis um myself uh, you know i i spent two years perfecting every playbook uh or trying to um you know uh did them when i was drunk which we talked about did them i i mean i wrote three playbooks uh in like 20 in, in 48 hours didn't sleep so I was just so focused on getting them correct. Uh, that's none. None of those are in the masks. Those are all in the um, po- the the Pokemon inspired game, the the Monster Trainer game. It's called a Monster's Tale. I'm just gonna keep. I'm, we now actually have a name for it, so I should probably use that more often um, or get be- get better at using it. Period. Um, so yeah, I, I wrote three playbooks from a Monster's Tale um, in 48 hours, and I didn't sleep because I was just so focused on fine tuning them. Um, so kind of, you know, my own drama, my own, my own problems. Um, so very, you know, very simple book, uh, on, on its concept. Um, but I think people will really like it. Um, the few, you know, people that have seen it, um, have, have really liked it. Um, it kind of gives the brain, it gets away from the brain's, um, shame. Uh, because I know a lot of people really don't care for the brain as it's written. Um, for a lot of reasons, there's a lot of, different reasons why people don't like the brain. Um, and I, I share all of their problems, all of their problems all at once. So then there's the vessel, um, which is Jean Grey or the Hulk. I've seen people say that you could make Venom or Blue Beetle with it. Um, but basically the concept is there's a power inside of you and it doesn't like you. Uh, th- that's kind of the, the, the terminology I've used. I think it's pretty uh, amusing to phrase it that way. Um, so it plays with influence and relationships, like the power itself has relationships with players and also gets influence over players in a similar concept to the Ronin that we talked about, um, but different. I mean, because it, it kind of, it, where the Ronin's influence is, is just an abstract, 
um, to trigger mechanics. The power is a character and kind of an NPC in its own way. Uh, so it's easier to kind of use influence and trigger influence. Um, but they also have hold, like, the uh, the relic. Um, or not the, not the relic, sorry, the Ronin. Um, and when they run out, problems happen, and they, they generate uh, hold to spend by, you know, having influence over their power. So, you know, when you lose influence over your power, it, it has influence, you know, it goes wild and crazy because it's kind of showing you, like, you just don't have the control over it. Like, you know, the Hulk, you know, going wild and crazy when Bruce Banner doesn't have control over it. Um, and, you know, the moves are, are similar about control and, 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 and that sort, you know, hurting people. So kind of, the vessel is very much, I guess, my Nova, where the defector is kind of my reformed. Um, there's another playbook called the liminal. It's not going to be in the book. Um, we're actually going to release the liminal on its own uh, when we have time. Obviously, we're focused on the Kickstarter. Um, but yeah, whereas the liminal, which is like LT gray, like you have a, a hero and a villain side that are like tugging on you and you're kind of in the middle and, and kind of trying to just decide where you are um and the defector where you you don't have to be a villain to have been a defector you could be defecting from a hero group i think it's easier to make it a villain group um just by you know drama and narrative but you could you know it, it's not required um yeah the vessel is very much my uh my nova uh, you're dangerous because you you have a power that's dangerous and you have to be in control. Um, but whereas the Nova is more, I guess Starfire is supposed to be a Nova. No, Starfire is supposed to be the outsider. Who's supposed to be the Nova uh, in Teen Titans? I actually don't know. Um, uh, maybe Terra before the betrayal. Um, maybe, yeah. Uh, I've I, heard. I have heard that. Yeah, there isn't really a good uh, parallel in Teen Titans for the Nova. Yeah, I mean, Jean Grey is supposed to be a Nova. That's one of the, the people that they mentioned because of the Phoenix Force and just her general psychic powers that she doesn't have a lot of control over. So similar, so similar, um, parallel even. Um, but yeah, the Hulk, like I said, the Hulk really doesn't have a parallel in the core books. Um, I've seen people say that it's the Transformed, but the Transformed is not the same drama as the Hulk. Um, you know, the Hulk is about all about control and self self control and. Uh, dealing with negative emotions in that way, and that is obviously the the drama of the vessel. You know, the power is a stand-in for anger or sorrow or something like something of that nature, where it can, kind of consumes you, and you have to learn to deal with it. Or addiction, you know, I, uh, addiction comes up in a couple playbooks because that's a teen drama. It's a drama. It's a human drama, um, as I keep saying. Um, so that's the third one, um, and the final one is the tactician. Um, if you go back, uh, you, your viewers and you, to the original episode that we put together, um, or the original interview that we had, whatever, you, however you want to phrase that, um, I remember saying that the tactician was the one playbook that if I could just delete it, that I would. Um, or something along those lines. I don't know if you remember. It's been a long time. Um, so Tom and I, one night, were talking about making a playbook where you did not have any playbook moves, but you had access to every playbook move. And that was kind of the idea of the tactician to begin with, where you didn't have playbook moves, but you could make your own on the fly. Um, and the mechanic was ugly. It also had keywords like the the uh, the transfer had. Um, and it was just it was it was clunky and it really didn't encapsulate the drama of you always have a plan, but it doesn't always go the way you want it to go. 
um, which that's that's every teenager ever uh, doing things they want to do. Um, I won't tell any stories because we've been at it for a long time, but uh, very very uh, very pertinent to my my childhood um, of plans blowing up in my face. Um, so you know, uh, also human drama. Um, so we we took a look together. And uh, Tom's actually going to get a co-writing, um, you know, from, you know, uh, he's, he's going to get uh, a note on his, whatever we put us as, he's going to be uh, credited, that's the word, uh, he's going to get credit for co-writing the, the tactician. Um, the tactician obviously has that drama, and it, it interfaces uh, mechanically, but their main mechanic is, at the start of play, you make a roll, and you get, basically, you, you choose moves from other playbooks. Um, and it's probably the best thing that I've ever written. Um, at least currently. Um, it's incredibly tight. Every playtester that... We had 15 playtesters. 14 people wanted to play the tactician. Nine of them got to. That's how popular it was in our in our playtest group. Um... And it shows. It's really, it's very cool. Um, everybody likes a, a, a make-your-own-class character, you know? Everyone likes that. Everyone likes to kind of, you know, that's, that's what min-maxing is all about. It's, it's about figuring out how to make the best you that you can make. Um, so when there's, like, a, a chameleon class or a mimic class or any kind of thing like that in a game, those, always, those are always really popular, uh, I find, um, and the tactician is our, our answer for masks. Um, and one day we'll have to stand in and really delve in deep. We could do an entire episode on, on the tactician on, on how deep, uh, its gameplay loop is. Um, because not only do you get to choose moves, but if you miss, the GM gets to pick moves. So the GM and you are kind of in this, this tug of war between, what moves and obviously it's a it's a good tug of war you're not supposed to fuck over the the player um but you know there's there's a like a gambling element of putting you know putting your putting your plan on the line and having it backfire and then you know getting moves replaced um and there's even there's even rules for your your fellow players to put new moves on because you know they're they're giving you ideas for new plans so they can change the moves that you have um and instead of choosing playbook moves off of advances, you basically you get two extra moves that you can choose because five is kind of the standard uh, number of, of playbook moves that people get. Um, it's a little less than, because you obviously, you get generally four choices uh, through advances and two or three normally, uh, but five seemed like a good number. It felt like a good solid round number um, to choose from that it wasn't too overpowered. Um... And yeah, I mean, there's there's so much nuance and and creativity that you can do. Um, because again, it it really is it's a build your own class, but it's a build your own class every moment. Like you can you know there's there are, there are ways to change moves that with you in play, the GM can change moves in play, players can change moves in play, and every new session you pick new moves, and that you can choose the same moves over and over and over. Um, and that's really what I think is the strength of it. Um, in time, it's almost like a wizard from D&D, where you have a, a layout of spells that you make every morning in play. Um, it's almost v uh, Vasian in that way, or Vancian in that way, sorry. Um, 
the only difference is obviously once you use a move, you don't lose the move, which is it was is also a hallmark of Vancey and spellcasting. You 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 fire and forget. Um, <clears throat> so it's in it's geared toward superior. That's the the playbook label, but because of how label changes work, as play goes on, you can change your moves to adapt to the labels. So there's just I mean, like I said, we could we could have a ten hours talk on just how wild the playbook is and how deep it is just based on the singular mechanic that it has um and i know we can talk about it for 10 hours because tom and i spent about 15 hours white rooming the book so there was no i mean there's probably there are probably there are probably ways to abuse the book um but if you can find one you deserve it because we spent 15 hours one day and then i think another two days of eight-hour shifts just, like, dumping on the playbook and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And we didn't go through every playbook move from every playbook because not only are there a lot in core, but we did not spend a lot of time going through all the ones that are in my playbooks um, because, I would, you know, we would spend a month on it if we did that. Um, there's just so much cool stuff you can do with it. Um, Obviously, you can't get flares or doom signs, um, or the witch witches stuff. Um, we talked about some potential for that, but we really found that that was a lot. Like it added a lot. Um, we talked about adding a way to get extra mechanics, and that was also like we just we I think we entertained that for about maybe five minutes in the first five, fifteen hour session. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm al almost immediately we're like, no, this that's that's insane. Um, so uh, that's the that's the last of the playbooks on the stretch goals um cuz i think that will incentivize people to obviously give more than what we're asking for um we're asking for $4000 i probably should have said that at the at the start um we're not really asking for a lot uh for how much content is in this book um and those are the playbooks um like i said yeah the, i think the tactician is going to be one that people really want to really want to get their hands on um, it went from obviously my least favorite playbook that I wrote ever to a playbook that, um, I, I think it's written better than almost every core book. And I know that's, that's really out of character for me to say, because I'm, I usually try to be pretty, pretty humble about my, my stuff, but, um, I think it pushes the masks rules to a point where it, it probably isn't a masks playbook. And I know a lot of people will say, well, that's not what we want. But I think it's it's so not a Masks playbook that it is the only Masks playbook. It, it, it is so fundamentally on the fringe that it encompasses the entire game in a, in a package. Um, and that's why I think it's probably the best thing I've written Masks-related. Um, it, because it, it's, it's, it's so tight. Um, I, I really recommend, when, when you have time taking a look at it, I, I think you'll be really impressed with it. Yeah. Um, I know. I know we are. Um, so that doesn't necessarily mean it's good, but we, we definitely are very proud of it. Um, so um, real quick, the last two things that we have. Um, I wrote a hack for masks called the Midnight Generation. This is the one that everyone in our playtest group thinks I should be promoting the most. Um, does ever, I, uh, it is a hack for turning masks into Shin Megami Tensei games, and specifically Persona. Um, which is a very popular uh, 
intellectual property, um, and for good reason. I am a huge fan, obviously. I, I wrote a hack for it. Um, it has eight playbooks that interface with the rules, uh, and it, each playbook has rules to integrate into uh, actual Masks games instead. Uh, because they have a lot of stuff that's replaced. They don't have moments of truth. They're, they are going to lose moments of truth and gain something else. I have to go and write that. Um, and instead of abilities, they get uh, their their persona, obviously, and they get abilities off of that. So the playbooks are very different um, off the cuff, but there is a section on how to make them a, an actual um, playbook. I'm not going to get into all eight. There's eight of them. I, I'm not going to get into all eight. Um, they're basically just, you know, the dramas of a lot of the playbooks, but kind of distilled down and, and kind of spread out. Um, I will make one point. Um, there is one called the Golem, where you're kind of, you know, kind of similar to a newborn. Um, and I think it's better than the newborn, personally. Um, I base their drama on, or their mechanic on the Three Laws of Robotics from Isaac Asimov. Um, and they've been, they were really cool. They were the, they were the standout playbook. Um, the other playbooks are, are, you know, interesting. Um, they're, you know, again, they're a little generic in that they're, they're trying to be all encompassing on a, on a very broad drama. Um, because that's kind of what Persona is all about. Um, and it, it, you know, it's more about the, the story than it is about the individual dramas. Um, and obviously there's rules for that. Um, and yeah, and there's rules for being in the midnight world, uh, as we call it, because obviously we don't want to get sued. Um, in the real world, so there's even those kind of rules of of the alternate world that overlays the real world and kind of the interaction between those two things. Um, there will be a play set in it, but just one. It's gonna, it's not gonna be very big. Uh, you know, eight eight playbooks, uh, some heavily changed rules and some new rules and a place a play test or a play set um probably more than we need uh to do for like a little like a hack book um but it's really cool i did a lot of play tests for that uh in the beginning of the year um and i think everyone really liked that and everyone really likes persona so uh i think that'll be an incentive um one of the other stretch goals we have is to do a full tarot card deck for that sam is going to draw if we get to that stretch goal. So um, I, if you like tarot cards, obviously uh, Sam's art is top notch. So those will be really fucking cool. Um, and they'll be printable as well. Um, and they'll have the rules for the Persona uh, Arcana um, on them on the back. So they'll be not, they won't just be, you know, flavorful. They'll actually be useful. Um, but I think those are going to be really cool. I think that's going to be a draw. Um even if you don't like tarot cards, I think people will, will will enjoy those. Not just because you know it's a cool little side thing that you can print off. We're not doing any physical content because of how uh, fucked shipping and printing are right now because of COVID and all the ever given stuff. Um, I don't know if you heard, but there's a cardboard shortage uh, at least at the time of us recording this, and there definitely will still be one at the time that this goes live. Um, Lancer canceled almost all of their stretch goal content, um, and one of the big reasons was. It was too expensive to ship and print. Um, so uh, it's been a thing. Uh, and that's also why we're not doing a physical book for the worst generation. Because um, it's a nightmare. And we'd have to ask for way more money. Uh, definitely could not do $4,000. We would not be getting paid. We'd actually be paying out of pocket. Um, we would probably have to be asking for like 20000 And we could. But, um, you know, we'd, we would, we'd like to get the book backed. Um, so... 
uh, there was an de- executive decision not to do a physical book. One of these days, if if things are di- if things improve uh, by the end of next year, we will be doing a physical print. Um, and we probably won't kickstart that. We'll probably just uh, you know have it available to buy. I, I think by that point, we'll have our own own store page. Um, after we do the monster hunter, after we do a monsters a monsters tale, uh, we'll probably have our own um, our own website where people can buy physical content from. Um, that's the plan, at least. We obviously have plans to continue doing this, so um, more content is definitely coming. Um, and I, and if if none of these things get stretched gold, uh, they're all written. Uh, the worst generation is completely 100% written and content complete, and is going through editing. Um, the word the midnight generation is almost all written. There's a couple things that I needed to finish up on, um, and make some small alterations, but they're all in my notes, so that technically they're all written. Um, and the final book is going to be called All Stars. Um, it might be called San Francisco San Francisco All Stars. I haven't decided. Um, and it's going to have a couple more locations. Um, you know, a couple more super cities, a couple new NPCs uh, from each of those because there's a what. Uh, there were other GMs that I worked with um, that were running their own games, so there actually was like a shared setting, not just a shared city. Um, they've all since stop their games and, and they don't play masks anymore. Um, but I have permission to use that content. Um, and I will because it kind of fleshes out the world and that's, you know, always cool. Um, I think we're going to do three more playbooks and that's probably the last playbooks that we're going to do. Um, I haven't decided what those are going to be. Um, we're still kind of talking about that. Um, and we're going to do what we did for all the core books in that I'm going to write a few new moves for each of the books that we've put out. Um, and that will include the war book. And if we've put out the liminal and another one that we're planning on putting out, um, we will probably have additional content for those as well. Um, but uh, definitely additional content for any of the playbooks that we have uh, in the worst generation. So two or three, it probably will be three new moves each. Um, new new ability selections based off of things that people have playtested and, and, and pointed out that would be cool abilities for them to have. Um, probably more content, our context to like use them outside of the city. Um, and there will be, I guess what I would call a beer and pretzels version of masks. Um, one of the other things that we were talking about is how could we streamline masks to best play one-shots? Because masks is not very one-shot friendly. Um, so I can't really give many details. This is the only content that isn't written already. Um, but it will be by the time you know, you, you know uh, we send out the worst generation. Um, so, you know, that's one goal that we have with our with our content is that everything will be written and hopefully edited by the time we go to Kickstarter. Um, if we, you know, we, we have a couple plans to do some Kickstarters, but obviously the idea is that we don't really want to do, have to turn to Kickstarter every time. We just want to be able to put out content, um, you know, off of our own ability. Um, and yeah, any, any content that we do Kickstart will either be written or in the process of being written by the time we have a Kickstarter up. Um, obviously, like I said, A Monster's Tale is completely written, um, we have some stretch goal content ideas for that as well, and obviously more content for that outside of the main book. Um, I actually have just started writing that. Um, I usually have three or four projects going at a time, so um, hopefully we'll have other people that will be able to write stuff 
um, as well that we can include. Uh, we, you know, obviously like to pay people and, uh, you know, expand our presence in the in the community uh, and get, uh, you know, and highlight other community stuff. One of the things that we were talking about was adding um, a couple other people's content to the All-Stars book. Um, I don't know where we are on that. Um, so don't hold your breath on that. Uh, but it was an idea, um, and it may actually happen. Um, but like I said, we don't really know. Um, so obviously that's a lot of work getting rights and privileges and pay, um, for that together. Um, but basically the, you know, the all-star book actually started off as an idea to do another fan favorite book. Um, and we still might be able to do that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of content that we're not making that's really good, like the enduring or uh, a couple other playbooks that I really like. Uh, the alternates one that I really like done by, um, slow-mo cowgirl. That's basically all our content uh obviously there's one more stretch goal of getting more art into the all-stars book um the big thing uh that that so since it is designed for uh one shots the goal is to let you make like an all-star team obviously is what the name is based off of um so like any all-star comic book like the 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 best and favorite heroes from every comic run uh, and getting to play those together. Um, and there will be, I guess, costume changes is the closest term. That's something that is around in the community. But basically, like, mini playbooks that update you to finally being a full adult hero, but still being new as an adult hero. as it, Kind of like an end cap adventure. Kind of like a, a prolonged moment of truth. Um, and there will be some one-shot playtests or playsets in there, and there will be one playset for running an all-stars team. Um, you know, like a victory lap, basically, of your favorite characters is, is the goal. Um, which I think that's really cool. It's a lot of extra content. Um, and probably the last content we'll do masks-related for a long, a long time. Um, so, and most of, like I said, most of the All-Star stuff is written. The only thing that's not written is um, the All-Stars playset and the one-shot character creation rules. Um, so... Those will be done. Obviously, I've I've got you know six eight six to eight months to do that, um, so almost a year. So um, that will all be done by the time uh, the Kickstarter is is handed. the The goal is to get all the stuff written by the time the the original book that is Kickstarted uh, being handed out. So, like I said, it's like six or seven months to to do that. So, um, and that's that's really uh, all we got. Uh, it goes live on the twentieth of October. Uh, hopefully, I guess I'll hear from Kickstarter here in the next couple of days, um, and I'll know for sure, but that is the goal. I don't really foresee us not going live on that date, but if we do, I will definitely let everybody know. Um, and yeah, any any other questions, John? I've, t- I've talked a lot. Uh, I know I'm here to do that, but uh always feel a little bad that I just kind of monologue, so. No, it's fine. Um, yeah, so uh, just as a... Um... As a, a kind of last note on the on the Kickstarter, and uh, uh, what is the? Do you have a idea an idea of what the retail price for the book post Kickstarter is going to be uh, for the worst generation? I do. Um, so the goal to get just the play the just the core book um, is going to be fifteen dollars uh, as a as a tier. Um, if we actually hit four thousand dollars, which I really hope we do. Um, getting any of the extra content, um, 
will be twenty dollars, I think. Let me let me let me pull that sheet up just so that I'm telling you a hundred percent accurate information. Um the question is where did I put that? Uh here it is. Um so yeah, uh so fifteen dollars will get you the book. Um twenty dollars will get you the book and the worst gen uh and the war book at the same time. So that's actually a pretty good deal. You're getting the war the war book for way cheaper that way. Um I mean literally half off. Um and twenty-five dollars will get stretch goal content. Um I'm pretty sure that everyone will just get the four extra playbooks that are stretch gold. I think that will still be in the fifteen dollar tier. Um so the twenty-five dollar tier will will be the other two books, the the Midnight Generation and the um the All-Stars book. Um and then thirty-five dollars is all all of that plus the war book. Um so the retail after the after it is released in in the hands of all the backers, uh the war book will be going to twenty five dollars. Um and it may yeah, twenty twenty five dollars is what we've said. Um that'll probably be what it is. And then the All Stars book and the um Midnight Generation will both probably be fifteen. All Stars might be twenty depending on how much content goes into it that isn't in it right now. Um there might yeah. If we if we do actually manage to pull other people's content in Obviously, we will have to re, you know compensate them, um, and that will obviously increase the the cost of the the, the book. Um, but that's probably not going to happen just because we haven't really talked about it. And um, yeah, it'll probably still be twenty dollars all star book, depending on on uh, how much extra art we put into it as well. Um, so I don't I don't have a definitive I don't have a definitive price for the all all star book, but the midnight generation will be fifteen dollars. Um, even probably and it'll it will definitely go up to twenty if we get the um, tarot cards in um so uh, yeah sorry just just to clarify uh you you mean the the worst generation will go up to 25 dollars, not the war book correct oh yeah sorry i meant the uh yeah so the worst generation will be 25 uh war book is staying 10 uh so yeah worst worst generation will be 15 uh for kickstarter and 25 after uh midnight generation will probably be 15 dollars if we don't get to do the tarot cards and it'll be twenty dollars if we get to do the the tarot cards, and the all stars book will actually probably be will actually probably end up being twenty. Um, so yep. Okay, I just wanted to to make sure that was all clear, listeners. You're good. Um, and the search goals. I mean, we're it's five hundred dollars for every playbook because that's kind of how much we've actually uh, time, effort, energy for writing. Uh, entered time for editing and all that. Uh, we feel like five hundred dollars is a pretty good ask for each to add to the to the base book because it's also kind of factoring in how much extra that would increase the cost of each book. Um, so six thousand dollars will get us to all four playbooks. Um, eight thousand we have for printable tokens for the shonen style tournament rule uh, things, uh, the the cards, whatever you want to call them. Ten thousand for the midnight generation. Uh, fifteen thousand for the tarot cards and additional art for the Midnight Generation. Um, twenty thousand for uh San Fran All Stars, and twenty five for additional art for All Stars. Um, so, um, yeah, twenty five is probably what we should be asking for this for the war the worst generation. Uh, so that's kind of where we we felt that be good for additional content since it's all written. Um, really, we we're just trying to pay for the art and um, you know, compensate us for for the time um after it's all since it's you know the writing is all done so um 
you know, we're not we're not trying to break anyone's bank. Um, one of the things that we value is value. Um, so uh, we really work hard to make sure that the cost is good for you, the consumer, but also we have bills. <laughs> um, Sam's got two cats and uh, got to got to feed those. Um, I got to feed myself, and uh, yeah. So we 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 are trying not to screw ourselves out of money, but we also want to make sure that our content is uh, not cheap because obviously, as as uh, John can tell you, our quality is incredibly good. Um, but we want to make it affordable uh, for everybody because um, we want you to have the content. So um, yeah, that's one of our our central uh, central talk points that we talk about pretty much every time we have a meeting is. How much is this going to cost? How are we going to handle? You know how you know how much can we ask? That's not too much to ask for. Um, so for any product going forward, that that will continue to be a conversation that we have. Um, and the same will go for when we do a print book. Obviously, we have to pay the printer. We have to pay uh, for Sam to redo pages because uh, PDF layout and print layout aren't the same. Um, so you know, at the end of the day. We want everyone. We want most people to have the content as we can uh, at a price that will make sure that we are able to, uh, you know, maintain this as a uh, as a business. So, mm-hmm. um, and we're and we're super big on community. Obviously, we've had three episodes with with John and uh, listen to these nerds. We really like talking about our content. Um, so, you know, hit us up on Twitter. I'm on Discord on. All the all the mask places. I'm on the Magpie server. I'm on the slash hack, slash hack roll server. Um, I'm on the unofficial masks Discord. Um, and I work from home. So if people have questions or concerns or you know just want to tell me how good the content is or how bad the content is, you can do that too. I I, I listen to all of that. Um, and I'm on Twitter, which obviously will be plugged here. Um, so yeah, hit me up, follow me on, on Twitter is basically my main one. And if I'm, and if not discord, so, um, I can pretty much be hit up whenever I mean, I get to you immediately, but, um, I'll definitely, I definitely work on getting back. I answer every single DM and tweet that I get and at that I get on discord. So part of, part of my, part of my job. So, mm-hmm. uh, thanks. Thanks again, John, for having us on and, really, you know, talking for forever um, and uh, giving us a platform to, to sell our stuff to the, to the people. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, like I always say, I'm happy to support uh, content creators, uh, especially in the mask space. Um, and you, you make good content, high quality. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. As a reminder to our listeners, the Kickstarter is starting on hopefully October 20th and, uh, uh, assuming that you aren't going to get it through the Kickstarter, you should also check out the War Book. Uh, three very high quality uh, playbooks for masks. That is correct. Uh, the Ace, the War, uh, the the Ronin, and the Witch. Um, it's ten dollars, and uh, all of our playbooks that we have are individual as well. They're three dollars. I think the ones for the war book will actually probably be set at five just because they're way higher quality um, than the, 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 the war book ones, because there's a lot more graphic design that goes into them. Like you saw with the shiny uh, stuff for the uh, Royal, the, not that the 
Warbook is bad quality, but it doesn't have that extra flair um, that the war that the worst generation is going to have. We're, we're trying to do that for every playbook um, going forward. Is in just to, you know ten percent different as I talked about in the first and second uh, episode here. You know we want to make it look like a mass playbook, but we want to add our own flavor to it. Um, so that's one of the ways that we've done it um, is is that they all have a color theme. Um, the ones in the war book are flat. Uh, the ones in the work generation are are at least so far not. And uh, going forward, I, I know our plan is also not. Um, I look forward, really, really look forward to seeing everyone seeing the uh, character art that we've got for all the playbooks. Um, we, we've talked about them extensively. I wish Sam was, was here to talk about the art um, a little bit more. Obviously, he couldn't make it today. Um, but knowing what I know, uh, I, I think they're going to be some really, really cool characters. Um, and I think people are really going to like the, the playbook art for every single one of them. Uh, we've, we've done a lot of work on them, uh, in, in, in concept, concept art and concept drawings. So really, really looking forward to getting those out and, and showing people our, our stuff. We, we, we're, we're nothing without our community. We're nothing without the, the community as a whole. Um, and we are eternally grateful for everyone's, everyone's support because we, that's, I mean, that's what we're doing it for. You know, we're doing it for you guys. So we wouldn't be doing it without you. All right. Well, thank you, uh, once again for coming on. Um, maybe we'll have you back, uh, after the Kickstarter, uh, and we can talk about, uh, whichever playbooks, uh, were managed to be funded, uh, through. Stretch sure. Board. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I know you guys mostly do um, mask stuff, but we'll have the Monster Trainer stuff to to flog at some point. I have a lot to say on it. It's it's been a it's been an experience writing a, a Powered by the Apocalypse game from the ground up. I'm always interested in uh, you know helping out uh, and shouting out like good design and stuff. So we'll sure. definitely have you back when the when that's uh, ready to to be released. Yeah, thank you. Hopefully, hopefully by the end of next year. Um, depends on how all the stuff goes with this Kickstarter. Um, it's it, it's I I am now moving on to writing the GM section and final tweaks for the base game. Um, my goal is to have it all com- like content complete by the end of December. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff is you know taken priority because of the Kickstarter. I have a lot of I, I have a lot of mass stuff to re-edit and rework through just to make sure that it's updated and ready for if we do get the Kickstarter stuff done. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got a lot of we got a lot of irons in the fire. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, I, I guess we'll leave it there. All right. Have a good night, everyone. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Tumblr at listentothesenerds.tumblr.com or on Twitter at LTTNCast. All our music is sourced from Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. You can email us at listen to these nerds at gmail.com.